Hello, everybody. Welcome to Frame Trap. Today, I am joined by Brandon Jones. Hello. And Daniel Bloodworth. Yo. Uh, I am your host, Ben Moore. Uh, thinking about this episode of Frame Trap, I was like, man, we're almost at the end of the year. That's crazy. Um, it's going to be a really uh, busy and exciting end of the year with Next Gen. Pretty much right on top of us. But I was thinking about it and I was like, hey, I wonder, are there any games that you guys haven't gotten to this year um, that you really wish you would have? Uh, not, not meant to like shame you or anything. Seriously asking that question. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just curious if, uh, I don't know. Most if you could of pick them? one. Dreams. One. Dreams? Man. A game I just, you know. The game you reviewed, okay, yeah. Just vacation well, had, from had, for the rest of the year. I was like, you know, extremely in and was like, this is fantastic and full knowing, like, I'm not going to have time to check in on this or jump in once a week. And, you know, like, I'll check out, I'll do the, do basically do what I did at launch where uh, I had previously taken a break from when I first launched in early access where it's like, I'll just make two days of it and I'll just run into 150 levels as quick as I can and just kind of get a big gulp of like, ah, that's what's going on. But it's been wild seeing social updates and that guy kind of made that forest that was crazy, that it was just kind of this like crazy photorealistic thing that you look at on social media. If you shrink it down, it's like, wow, that looks real. And then I blow it up and it's like, no, that's dreams. I I, I know those leaves. Um, but it's just such a, such a fascinating game and, and kind of like Animal Crossing, like such a weird, obvious take for Goaty, but not at the same time. Like mm. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of varied projects this year going into, uh, the end of the year analysis. It's something that's, I think, kind of a blessing and a curse with how games are released now, because I got really into Destiny over the summer and I've been away from it for a couple of months now. And it's like, you know, I put a lot of time into kind of trying to learn that game and starting to learn that game. And now I've lost all of it. Like it's just gone. And it's probably changed <laughs> since, since I sure. last jumped yeah. into it. Uh, but Blood, how about you? Um. Well, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of things I have I could choose from. Hey, but that's I, okay. I think I'll go with I think I'll go with Ghost of Tsushima because that was my other one. Yeah. yeah, you know, when we got those review codes in, you know, I installed that game. I've not even so much as like clicked the button to load mm. up the title screen. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, maybe it'll be like Death Stranding for you because you didn't. I don't think you got to Death Stranding until the holiday break, but you put in like what five thousand hours. Yeah, it was pretty. It, it, I was expecting to just like you know, I'll, I'll get over Death Stranding and like this weekend, and then I'll you know play the next thing, and like no, the whole Christmas break was just Death Stranding. I think the one that that came to mind for me, I feel like I've played a lot of the stuff that's come out this year, but uh, Hunt Down. I, I know I'm gonna love Hunt Down, and I'll probably yeah. just like fly through it. But just mm -hmm. the way that Don and Huber talk about it, I mm. uh, it's it's like been floating around somewhere in my mind and I just just haven't committed to it yet but I was on that stream team and like the thing that's so great about hunt down is because you can bounce back and forth between I'm just gonna run around and cause a ruckus or like mm -hmm. no I'm really tactically gonna try to do well it's like you can do both doesn't matter you know like obviously some of the boss fights are like pretty brutal you really gotta get you know like Mega Man you gotta get used to that sequencing and you know the patterns yeah but hey um, that, I, I love that kind of Game, it's know? it's 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 a fun game to to rp your way through and like really get into character but it's also a fun game just to kind of goof around in nice. you can do both of those simultaneously the co-op nice. we, uh, we did via um uh the parsec and it worked did that really works great, so. really well okay mm -hmm. I've, I think I've only used beautiful. parsec like once um but yeah 
doing co-op. Yeah, I haven't used it with any Easy Ally stuff, I don't think. So I haven't seen it under like normal conditions. I've just done it with some preview events. And yeah. then they're like, their tech guys are like, turn this off and turn these settings on. And like, mm-hmm. okay, I hope whenever I use this again, it will actually function. Yeah, right. Way. Do, it, do it with <laughs> friends. I wouldn't recommend, you know, parsecing up with a stranger. No, no. But No, uh, not at all. Because yeah. like you're literally taking control of their yeah. PC. So yeah. But, or uh, giving them your PC to control. Uh, this is this is kind of relevant to what we were talking about, but just like catching up on games that you miss. And I, I feel like, you know, as people who cover games, we have that pressure on us, rightfully so. But sometimes you just weirdly fall into random game holes. Like, I feel like I've been playing Dead by Daylight for like no great reason this whole week. And I've just uh-huh. been having a blast. And it's like, probably could have played Hunt Down in that time. But I don't know. I think sometimes it's good to... Let your curiosity get the better of you. Not all the time, yeah. but sometimes. Yeah. Well, when we were prepping for uh, hunting Huber, I, I did kind of the same thing. I was like, I want to, you know, get to know this game a little bit, and I'm like, yeah. I'm just, I'm digging this. So you know, yeah. I, was, I kept playing and leveling up, and really got my my character in a good spot to just annihilate Huber when the time came. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> the, that was a blood cut at the top of this podcast. Um, were you play? You were playing Killer. You were hunting Huber. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious was, what killer... I was playing the the shock guy, the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you played the doctor when we did the stream. I, I played a little bit of him today on stream. Uh, I'm not very good with him, but yeah. he seems cool. Uh, Brandon, let's get into it. Mm. Um, mm. You've been... You watched all of, I believe, The Haunting of Bly Manor, and I was a big mm-hmm. fan of Haunting of Hill House, um, mm-hmm. but I haven't watched Bly Manor yet. You said, and I quote, that you had a hot take. Sure. Well, I, you know, I, I we debated doing a spoiler mode on it, and we weren't sure if we were going to have time. I didn't really have time to gobble it up right away. I, I, def- I finished it much later uh, than Friends, but uh, I watched it with Amanda, and we were thinking maybe like sharing a mic and doing our own like spoiler mode. But uh, we we're like, I don't want to dump on it because Huber brought up a really excellent point. You know, Huber has um, endured some, uh, you know, loss in his family recently, mm-hmm. and. I had a lot of criticisms for the season and then I would talk to Huber and he said that resonated me with me more than, you know, most television I've watched recently. And I, I just all of a sudden had a completely different take on the whole season. I was like, oh, that's an excellent mm-hmm. point. And um, what they've done, Mike Flanahan, I think, is the director, uh, uh, the the guy who who did uh, both of these seasons. There's so many interesting things that's that's going on and there, there were some really great performances and just the general craft of the whole thing. Like, I really appreciate. Uh, I used to really be into... Um, the American Horror Story. I really liked the first like two seasons and then season three started to kind of go off the rails a little bit. Mm. And then by four, I was like, this is just Looney Tunes. I'm out. You know, it's just not, it's it's spooky, but it's it's so weird and over the top and sensational. And then it's a Hill House came along and I'm like, here we go. You know, like old creaky wood, you know, like basements and attics and, you know, like lace blowing in the wind. I'm like, okay, yeah, this this is Kahana Mansion style. This is more my vibe. And I think it's such a fun modern take. Um, but the first season was a lot about mental health, I think. It was mm. a lot about like perception and kind of struggling with, did I see that? You know, what am I going through personally? And and this one was very much about loss. And I didn't really grasp onto that because I was super critical of like their British accents and you know, all sorts of weird things comparing it to the first season. Whereas Huber was just, it just immediately hit, you know, and, and he was trying all these connections. So it was neat through his eyes to look back on the season and be like, totally like they really wrestled with some cool stuff Mm -hmm. i just thought some of the story beats were weird but we can get into that 
I when I watched Hill House, I I feel like I really didn't know much about it going in, and I just became obsessed with it. Like I burned through that show as fast as I could, yeah. um, and I got so attached to the characters. Um, I know that some of the actors from Hill House are in Bly Manor uh, yes. as different characters. Is yeah, that, that's totally oh, different interesting. thing. Yeah, is that is that weird at all? Sure. <laughs> well, just I, for you. Univer- it's not universally weird. I, mm-hmm. You know, you've heard me gripe about that stuff, Ben. That's just extremely strange to me. Mm. Uh, also because one guy strides in with a British accent now. And you're like, oh, like another guy's Scottish. And actually has a pretty damn good Scottish accent. But, uh, you know, good guys play bad guys. And so there is a little bit of that flop. That actually is... Um, also similar to uh, American Horror Story. They hung on to the cast. Um, and they're all great performers. It was a little distracting. There's one episode later on where like, ooh, another actor shows up. And it's like, <laughs> it's hard for me. It's like the the meme with Leonardo DiCaprio from Hollywood where he's like, hey, and he's pointing. You know, I'm just like, oh, it's that person. And it's like, well, I don't want to be thinking that. I want to be into the story. You know, I want to be, who's this woman? Instead of like, oh yeah, what's her name? Um, so that's not really just kind of the headspace of where I want to be. But uh I'm also sympathetic to writers, directors that are like, I had a lot of fun working with those people. I want to work with them again. They're really talented and um, they're committed to this project. I already got them going. You know, that's why Scorsese says he works with De Niro again and again. He's like, I don't have to worry about him. You know, Mm -hmm. we can just, we can show up and get right to work. Um, But the accents was a little interesting. uh, I've seen people on social media talking to people uh, from the UK being like, how'd you take that? (laughs) And they're like, they work great, but um, it's a, it can be a stretch sometimes like to believe that stuff. But um, uh, the setting was good. It also wasn't as scary as season one. Season one rocked me. Had man. some season really one, good moments. Yeah. You know, Winter really crawled, really crawled up my spine in a couple mm-hmm. instances. Even just kind of thinking about it, kind of like where Poltergeist and like The Ring sit for me. You know, these movies that really impacted me. You know, even just thinking about it in passing is like, ugh, you know, I know it's not real, and um, I wouldn't gasp if I saw it again. But just the, that concept. Whereas this was a, very heavy with emotion, you know, it was uh, very soap opera y too. There are lots of lots of subterfuge and twists and backstabbing and stuff, and so it was like a little, little more drama than than less scares. But IGN did a um, a thing on the ghosts that are in the background. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you saw. Do you see Hill House Blood? No. Uh, so one thing that they did that I wish <laughs> more horror, of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish more horror did because one of the things that I hate when modern horror does when something like creeps by in the background and the soundtrack's like, someone's in the background. And I'm like, I can see someone's in the background. Stop. Right. You know, like you don't need to call attention to everything. Surprise me. And uh, there's a lot of, you really got to, you know, it's like, where's Waldo? You really got to keep your eyes peeled. And I was clicked on the IGN article. It's like, I might've missed some. And like, I missed like 50. Like mm. there were just so many, there's like an arm or like a head popping up through a window or hmm. uh, there's just a constant presence of all in, of the- In Hill House or Bly Manor? characters. In both. Was, oh, okay, uh, okay. Specifically Bly Manor was the article I looked up and was like, whoa. So it's like, you know, I don't recommend pausing every frame, you know, like a highlights magazine, but it's a, uh, it's just a fun- they're having a good time, you know. Like this is a crew, and it's very much if you liked Hill House and you're in the in the in the mood in this season for that kind of vibe, like totally delivers. Um, I just uh, it was one of those things where Amanda and I kind of looked at after we looked at each other and we were done. We were like, that was odd. And just the some character choices, some stuff kind of just was left out there, um, and um, like like I said, just a little a bit more drama, less scare. I think the I have this weird mental barrier with this. Where I, I liked Hill House so much that I think I'm, I'm I'm a little bit nervous about watching Blind Manor because I feel like I'm just going to be constantly comparing the two, mm-hmm. and 
Hill House hit such a high bar for me that I'm like, oh, like I, I, I feel like if it isn't as good, good, it's going to extra disappoint me just because I was uh, so invested in, in Hill House. And I don't know that that kind of like turns me off from watching it. But at the same time, you mentioned the vibe. And if you like that vibe, you should definitely give this a chance. And, mm-hmm. and I, I do. I love the style of Hill House, but something. I, I I've heard you're not Huber's probably the only one that I've I've seen uh take from where he's like, oh I, I liked it a mm-hmm. lot. I loved it. I, I've kind of gotten a general sense that people don't think it's quite as good, and I think that's kind of made me hesitant. Mm-hmm. But well it's it's again just going from the scare into more of like a drama focus is kind of a dip just in terms of expectations. It's kind yeah. of like I was it was nine episodes instead of ten as well. It's also a shorter cast. Uh, season one bounced around to a lot of like 10 years ago, two years ago, you know, like you need to understand all of these different story things that have happened. You had all the members of the family plus their families, where it's really just like seven people, like mm-hmm. the whole thing. You know, it's really just focusing on um, a very specific focused family tale, um, which like there's some characters. There are characters in season two that I love way more than a lot of people in season one, where mm-hmm. I'm just like, I love this person. I care about them. I don't want anything bad to happen to them. There's these two kids that are the center of it where horror with kids is rough. If you have a kid who just can't pull it off, if you have like a Jake Lloyd in episode one, it's like, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing we can do. I can't pretend to like this kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're exceptional. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. wise beyond their years, um, which is always really great. Like the kid in the ring was really good. Um, the kid in uh, the Babadook is really good. And it's just like, it's a make or break for me. Like if that's going to sell it. Um, and Henry Thomas, who is an E.T., you know, he, he comes back. Um, and... Uh, yeah, everyone's just and Jared, just some really standout performances. But uh, being careful, try not to talk about too much. Um, you you mentioned that it's uh, less scary, which I think is is totally fine. I, I don't even think that that's necessarily this this huge criticism. But it yeah. is just a tough time because right now in this moment, at the end of October, I want to be scared, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like I, yeah. I specifically want to watch things that yeah. uh, are going to be spooky or. or yeah, especially that, and I'm sure and, I'm sure that's in there to some degree. But hearing it's less scary, it's just like ah, maybe not what I want right this second. At the same time, what uh, you know, what I think happened to American Horror Story is it just tried to constantly outshock itself, sure. you know, and so that's when I just got disinterested because I was like, why this doesn't make any sense, um, and. I, so I'm fine with them taking a different route, you know, in, in terms of what they're going to do with the story. Because for people that don't know, Hill House was based on The Haunting, I think is the original story. If you go see the the, the Liam Neeson movie, which is on like Amazon or something or HBO. Um, uh, it's based on that. So they took these existing characters and were like, how can I connect this across a series across 10 episodes? And they did the same thing with Blind Manor based on Henry James's Turn of the Screw. And so it's like mm-hmm. much more where Turn of the Screw is like this all pair went to this house and spooky things happened. And the show's like, no, 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 let's get into this. Like what? Like really, why are these things happening? Where did this ghost come from? You know, what are the stories behind it? How many how is it affecting everybody? Um, and so from a literary standpoint, it's just kind of fun to deconstruct that way. So like, I hope this goes on and on and on forever. You know, I hope they get like six more seasons, you know, because even if we get like, oh, that's not necessarily what I would have done with that book, but that was cool. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. I was, that was neat. And I'm super glad, you know, it's like, I could criticize this all day. Um, this is why I'm tempted to do that spoiler mode, but like no regrets for watching it. And most certainly if like we get maybe two more seasons and then that's it, I could totally see myself going back and watching all of it again you know, mm-hmm. 10 years from now or something. Cause it's just like, it's rare. You get this kind of Guillermo del Toro 
you know, slow, you know, uh, deliberate classic horror um, that is is modern. I think it's like in the 80s, late 80s, 90s, the Blind Manor takes place. But uh, there's just something, um, it just has a, a connection to, you know, 19th century, you know, old, old, old house lore. The Others with Nicole Kidman, you know, just that kind of vibe. Always there for that. Not really a great point to bring up, but I just want to say Del Toro is a goddamn genius. Like yeah. <laughs> he's he's a hard man to criticize. Like I didn't like uh, what was the Red House? Uh, what is it called? Crimson, Crimson Peak. Peak. Crimson Peak. Yeah, that, was a, that was okay. Um, I thought the story was kind of predictable, and I was wasn't you know like. But visually, it's just like <laughs> mm-hmm. you're a genius. Like it's just his his aesthetic is so good, and Pan's Labyrinth is you know one of the best movies. I've I, ever think, seen. I think I think Pan's Labyrinth, Labyrinth is, is a masterpiece. Control. It hit me like it's, a ton yeah. of bricks. Yeah. Yeah. Ma- um, masterpiece and genius are two words I, I don't – I really try not to label too many things. Sure. Pan's yeah. Labyrinth is a masterpiece. Yeah. I, I feel like I could say that without hesitation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brandon, you made me think of a missed opportunity because uh, this was last year, but uh, we both saw the movie Us. And I remember you – because I, I loved Us, Jordan Peele's Us. And uh, I remember you not liking it as much. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that conversation would have been better when it was both fresh in our minds. But I wish we could have – talked about that because I, I didn't I don't know what you didn't like about it oh Ben I mean you heard me talk about Terminator 2 man I'll <laughs> rip into a movie anytime you want anytime sure. anybody yeah. wants I got it like, it's 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 it, it, like little files like hold on a second flip 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 here we mm-hmm. go all right us um yeah so uh this part's implausible over here and um have you seen uh, a little overacted over here no, Midsummer, Brandon yeah you have did you like it more than us, for sure. Yeah, okay, Midsummer okay, okay. is just. Yeah, oof. I love I love Midsummer. Midsummer so is like an enema. Midsummer is just like it's a trip. Did I enjoy that? I guess like right. I don't know if I would watch Midsummer again. Oof. I would, I think, but I I totally oof. get where you're coming from. I nah. adore that ending. But anyway, uh, getting a little bit off track here. Uh, you mentioned American Horror Story, Brandon, and I I do want to touch on this because I've been very interested in, in American Horror Story, and I feel like I've dabbled in it just a tiny bit. But I run into this problem where I feel like there's so much American Horror Story mm-hmm. now that it's like, do I really want to commit to this? People see – like you're saying like, oh, it just falls off a cliff. And it's like, is it really worth like trying to enjoy and then only to get to like season three or four and you're like, oh, now suddenly it's garbage? I don't know. You just watch just watch one and two and then you're done. One, and you don't two, have to worry about done. story continuation because it's its own thing. Okay. Three is the coven. Which is like, okay, like part of it's like really cool. And then it's one of those shows that's just like, now we're just going to party. And you're like, all right, where'd the plot go? You know, like, um, and then four was like the circus. And I was like, no, no I'm out. <laughs> it's like one of those scenes. I just want to say just because logistically, this is because I'm such a nerd. Like, this is just the dumb stuff. This woman gets like kidnapped by the circus. And then like the next day she wakes up and they're like, we recorded you while you were sleeping. And this is like in the 50s. And so like. So she's like, what? And they like, yeah, she's watching video of her the night before and it's edited. And it's just like, I can't, as an editor, I can't stop imagining. It's like, wait, so you filmed this last night, processed the film and then what spliced it at like 3 a.m. just to spook this girl you kidnapped right. on a whim yesterday. Click. You know, it's like, I'm out. Like where it just, it just becomes, which it can be fun. Like blood, you just finished Legion and Legion's like very weird and very silly, very intentionally, you know, you know, goofy, but I get where it's going. Whereas like, you know, uh, when American Horror Story does that and then later it's like, okay, back to being scary. It's like, you're done. I can't, you know, you're, you're not going to get me in that mood again after, sure. you know, you had like four clowns do some weird thing, you know, like, I don't know. I know, I th- well, I don't know. I think Stevie Nicks does a cameo in 
in three Three, okay that's where it gets yeah that's where it gets a little off the rails but i'm just a big stevie nicks fan and so i kind of want to see it i kind of want to see it because she's you know stevie nicks has always been kind of into mysticism and yeah she sings about it she talks about it and so the covens are like she's one of us so it's a fun cameo but uh but yeah hey blood then you're out three and you're out hey talk to me about discworld Discroom. Oh, sorry. Discworld oh, is something else. Discworld yeah, no, is a, isn't Discworld a novel series? <laughs> yeah. Disc- <laughs> okay. Shout out. That that Shout was out. swimming around somewhere in there. Tell me about Discroom. All right. Yeah. So Discroom, I popped into uh, last night and this morning. Uh, it's uh, being published by Devolver. It's uh, some of the same devs that made uh, Minute. Uh, oh, neat. If you, if you check that out. I didn't. And, I should have. Yeah. Uh, not at all like Minute, uh, other than being 2D uh, and kind of top-down. But uh, I guess the easiest way that I can kind of condense it to let, let you understand what it's like uh, is it's like Geometry Wars pacifist mode. Okay. But with, like, levels and objectives and things. So you're essentially, the way the story is set up, and the, the, the comic book art style kind of looks sort of like the far side as sort of the Ooh. best comparison I can make for it. Ugh. And so it's 2089, and this giant disc has been spotted orbiting Jupiter. And so this team of scientists goes, we're going to check out this giant disc. We don't know what it is. And then they get in there, and it's just full of basically saw blades bouncing around. <laughs> And of course, they kill you, but you just keep coming back. And so it has, sort of has like this Meat Boy thing mm-hmm. of you get killed, you push the button, and you're like you just instantly just back in the same room until you complete your objectives. Uh, but what gets kind of crazy with it? So you're trying to progress through this maze, right? So like you kind of look at a map and you see like every room, kind of like a Zelda dungeon, connects to other rooms, and to unlock a specific door. You might have to survive for 10 seconds or 20 seconds, or you might have to destroy something or whatever. But also baked into this is you actually want to get killed a lot uh, because every almost every room has new types of discs in it. There's different designs on them, different behaviors and things like that. And every time that you get killed by a new type of disc, then there's like basically there's like a checklist screen that you you've gotten that disc, and there's this little tiny like one sentence bit of lore associated with that disc. Question. Uh, yeah. Do any UMDs or GameCube discs kill you? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. Uh, but basically, most of them are like saw blades. And uh, there are some that are larger and smaller and some that track you a little bit more. Some that like when they hit the edge of the wall, <laughs> they'll spawn like a bunch of smaller ones. Okay, I'm sorry. Huber's not here, so I feel obligated on his behalf. Top 10 discs. <laughs> sorry. Continue. Um, and the then some of, the, impression. <laughs> some of the larger ones that have like weird like body parts and like rib cages and stuff in the center. And Awesome. So just like, yeah, and there's like a lot, obviously, like anytime you get hit, like you're just body parts everywhere. Um, So it is kind of Halloween-ish a little bit. Mm. And then some of the ones that you get hit by in certain rooms, when you get killed by them, you'll absorb an ability from them. And so just by default, all you can do is run around and not get hit. 
but then you get an ability where okay now you have a dash so you can dash through and you kind of have like that iframes while you're dashing so that like you won't be hurt by a disc mid dash and then there's another one where you sort of slow time but you you have like this this meter that condenses the longer you hold the button you know the less you know the more you're gonna have to wait for it to recharge Mm. and so you're kind of like slow-mo and kind of weaving through and, and getting past different discs and then there's another one that's kind of um you clone yourself kind of and it kind of works like the duplication cherry in like mario 3d world that was the that was immediately what i thought of yeah and so you can keep cloning and keep cloning and i don't know like if there's even a max but then wherever all of these different clones are you're controlling them all at the same time and so it gets a little bit like you know it's tricky to work with your brain like okay which one am i actually keeping my eye on but as long as you have one body alive you'll continue to survive Hmm. Uh, and those are the three i've gotten i think there's another three or four more abilities i have left to unlock um and then certain rooms will have i think they called them like gatekeepers or something like that they're essentially like boss discs that you have to kill by picking up all of these different orbs and so like you basically have to stay alive and every time you pick up an orb then another orb will show up and so you just pick up the orbs and every time you pick up an orb it does damage uh to the to the boss disc and until you you finally kill it uh and then unlock the the next room but yeah so you have to stay alive certain amount of times or sometimes you have to get killed by a certain amount of discs so you have to kill a certain number of discs um and every once in a oh yeah and then when you with the bosses with the orbs um and there's also golden discs in some rooms um, but anyway so every once in a while like you'll do something that will trigger like a small cutscene, but it's pretty vague it's just visual so it's hard to piece together like okay what is exactly the story mm-hmm. here so far i'm not sure i get it just yet but you mentioned uh, uh that the the boss like enemies were gatekeepers and i just like envisioned them being like you're not a real disc room fan like gatekeeping yeah. <laughs> in a, in a conventional sense but um is it randomly generated no it's it's not so it's not really roguelike in that sense it you know like each room has a very specific um you know composition of discs in it you know that's what i'm saying about like unlocking them so like you'll see that like there's three different types of discs in this room and you'll see whether you've you know been killed by all of them or not so Um, do you, do you run into like kind of a, a Castlevania or Contra situation where like you, you let's say you have the iframe ability that you got. If you die to another type of disc that gives another ability, even if you don't want to, do your abilities get swapped? No. Uh, oh. So basically like when you die, then like you can just mash that A button and just go right back in. But you can hit B instead and swap your ability. Cool. Okay. And, and so that's one of the things is, you know, kind of experimenting and figuring out like in one room you know because i really you know slow-mo has been my go-to but sometimes some of those discs will spawn out in like a really wide line and it's like there's no way to get around these things sometimes so it's better for me to have the dash when i'm facing off against them but it's just like like i said most rooms have new discs or new elements like one had uh an element where you're your timer only 
works while you're in the center. So there's like a circle in the center and you have to be in that circle for the timer to go up. And, if, and, and again, like you have to survive so, so many seconds. Mm -hmm. But if you're outside the circle, your seconds aren't clocking. So a lot of different little things like that to play with. You mentioned the the rooms being stitched together in kind of like a, a top-down Zelda style. Do you have a map, like a Metroidvania map that you're slowly expanding? Yeah. So there, there, yeah, if you go to the map screen, then you can see you can see everything like really simply because it is just a bunch of squares next to each other, uh, and so you can see you know what rooms are locked, what rooms you know you've been to, what rooms you haven't gotten all the discs in, and then I think uh, there's even like. If you haven't survived for 20 seconds, it'll be a different color than if you have. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of information that's communicated very simply on that map screen so that you can, if you're up against a wall in one spot, it's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go this direction and go a few rooms over here and, and see if I can make progress that way. Um, you mentioned uh, the Super Meat Boy and just like instantly restarting. So do you just instantly restart in the same room that you died in? And is it like Meat mm -hmm. Boy where you just like start at the beginning of that room, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. So basically every room starts off fairly empty, mm -hmm. I would say. You will have like, you know, one or two discs that spawn and then more spawn and more spawn and more spawn. So it gets more and more crazy uh, the longer that you manage to survive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there um, any secrets or additional challenges or anything like that? Because I'm betting there are, but okay. I haven't gotten that, okay. that deep into it. But yeah, okay. there's there definitely seems to be like I don't know if there's more to the gold discs. Like I've been in rooms with gold discs that aren't even moving, hmm. and it's like the only thing that there is for you to do in that room is to walk into the disc and kill yourself. What what is the what is a gold disc? It's a, it's a gold you don't know okay yeah <laughs> you right. know it's like yeah, it's, it's a gold disc and okay. there's there's a whole series of them i found like three i think so far they do something um yeah. it sounds extremely difficult has it been frustratingly difficult has it been you know has the learning process been fun the learning process has been fun and i think yeah extremely difficult is it's weird because it kind of depends on like what you're going for because I've had rooms where it's like, okay, I've completed all of the objectives in this room and I, and I could move on to a different room, but mm. you know, I, I still haven't collected enough orbs to like kill this disc. So like, let me see if I can survive long enough to kill that. And then another thing that they have in each room is they have like, you know, uh, sort of like a leaderboard uh, style thing where there's just like, there's a dev time displayed, like right oh, from when man. you start. So it's like, can I survive long enough to beat that dev time? Can I make it to like one minute and 11 seconds or whatever? If so you beat the dev it, time? It's very layered. If you beat the dev time, do you get an advantage in the game? I don't know yet. I haven't I haven't pulled one of those off. I haven't, sure. I haven't stuck with a room long enough to do that because there are a lot of rooms. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's really easy mm -hmm. to start spreading out and moving on. So that, I think that's part of it. It's like, if you you know get frustrated trying to you know tackle a deeper challenge and just like, all right, I'll just, I'll just try something else and see what's over here. It'd be neat if they did the thing that other games have done where not only is there a dev time, but you could see like your friends' times and, mm -hmm. and try to compete against them. And Yeah. As long as there wouldn't be ghosts because I think there's too much going on for you to no. deal with seeing somebody else run around on the screen. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like there have been deaths caused because of that where there, there's just so much happening that you can't process it? 
especially with, with it sounds like with the cloning that that might be an issue the cloning it definitely makes it harder you know if you just just focus on one character then you're fine um but it, it's definitely the hardest one to keep your brain around the other little tricksy thing that they've done is um they they call it a disc although it's it doesn't really look too much like a disc but there's some rooms that basically have like like teeth that pop up out of the ground hmm. and so you'll see like a little ripple in the sand um before they come up but it's can be really easy to just be like trying to dodge a bunch of discs and then you just land on that spot right in time to get chomped um but in general i actually feel like yeah i've I've played a lot of games like this where i i you know i i do have a hard time like a lot of shoot 'em ups and bullet hell things for like man i just cannot quite get it i can't you know my brain isn't seeing everything that i want to be seeing and i haven't had that experience in this i think they've done a pretty good job um with just visually marking everything towards like i feel like amazing sometimes <laughs> that i managed to like weave through all of this crap i have so much respect for that in games uh we're gonna talk about doom eternal later on and mm. speaking about games that have a lot going on boy that game sure does and just from a design perspective how it uses sound and visual cues in equal measure to make sure, or, or to try to give you as much information as it can, yeah. you know, as quickly as it can. Uh, I can just imagine that that's really hard to figure out and takes a lot of iteration, but uh, when it when it is done well, um, and they, they do allow you to process it effectively, it feels really, really good. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice thing that they do too, when you use your abilities, there's kind of like a warping to the soundtrack that really, that's augments and, and makes that feel good yeah uh what is this out on uh i've been playing it on pc i have to see what else it's on i think it might be on pretty much anything but let's let's see what my email tells me about disc room um let's see switch and pc switch right and now pc hmm. um the frame trap test blood um because i know you were kind of looking at couple of games that you wanted to talk about on frame trap but the frame trap test is after you finish this episode do you think you'll play any more disc room i think so at least i want to that's always okay. that's always the yeah. real question yeah yeah you're not don't worry you're not on the hook or anything i'm always come i'm always you. trying to like finish everything that i've started mm. but. yeah well it sounds cool um but going back to kind of horror uh, a game that i've been really looking forward to is amnesia rebirth mm, yeah um and the dark descent is a game that i had played previously in the past but i had never finished it for one reason or another and i yeah same story I, I at the beginning it was definitely because i was too scared like the game just used to scare the shit out of me so i played as much as i could <laughs> back you know closer to the time that it launched but uh last week i played all the way through it and you know, Brandon, we were talking about like not throwing around the word masterpiece too much. And I, I don't know if I maybe want to throw out masterpiece, but it I think it is a really great game that holds up in a lot of ways even today. Good to hear. Um, and so having that experience fresh in my mind, I was really excited for um, Anisha Rebirth. And I also even played through Soma, which I, I liked a lot. Mm. Really liked Soma. Yeah, I played Soma. Yeah. Um, and... Amnesia Rebirth is hitting me in all of the right places. I'm not even really sure what the general consensus is among fans, but uh, it's... Yeah, I'm not either. It's different than Dark Descent uh, in ways that 
are surprising. Um, it, it feels kind of like a mix of Dark Descent and Soma, I would say. Um, hmm. Your character talks a lot. Very chatty character. And I was, I was actually worried about that going in. But the way that they do the storytelling, I, everything in this game feels like it feeds in on itself. Um, and it's just so smart. And because I feel like they really put themselves in the player's head and they're like, okay, when a player gets in this area, how are they going to walk around? How are they going to feel? Like, what are they going to look at? Um, because a lot of times you're put into dark areas, as you might expect. Uh, but sort of a new mechanic, it's it's like a it, 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 it sort of advanced tinderbox where instead of just like lighting a candle, you first have to light a match. And then while that match is burning, you can go around the room and, and light, you know, different lights, different candles, torches, that sort of thing. But as you're walking around, you see the match burning and it burns extremely quickly. It does not last that long. And so you kind of get this panic uh the game is just it's not even so much like terrifying like i, I I've, I've encountered like one type of monster and it's not that scary to look at but it, it it's not so much about like making you jump constantly it's more about just this constant feeling of stress um and mm -hmm. i think the match is a great example of that where you you can you can hold 10 matches at a time which seems like a lot but You'll, you'll kind of get into these panic situations where you're like, I need light, I need light, and you're burning your matches, and you're, you're freaking out, and then you run out of matches, and you hear your heart pounding, and you're uh, succumbing to the fear, and it's just the way that they turn the dial up on it feels so incredibly smart, because kind of as you're going through the panic, there will be times where you'll see a note. And you'll you'll you feel like you just kind of stumble upon it, and you're like, oh, okay, now I I got this little tidbit of lore. Or you stumble into a room, and you're like, wait, no, this is actually uh, like part of a puzzle. And so it's this it's this really brilliant blend of even when you feel like you're stumbling around in the dark, a lot of times it's not that like aimless stumbling. I feel like you tend to stumble somewhere purposeful. Or they, they don't leave you hanging out to dry for too long because like sometimes you'll be kind of just wandering around and they'll be like, oh, there's light coming from the ceiling. That might be important. And so they're kind of signposting you over there. And so uh, it is just great at making you go, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, but never oh, Godding so hard that you're like, OK, it's time to shut off the game. Um and I really like the storytelling in Soma. I don't know how you feel about it, Brandon. But um, uh, there were just a couple encounters. Uh, Soma was underwater, right? Yeah. That was yep, like, yep. 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 Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 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 They, I. I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. I don't. I don't. I don't. Do, oh yeah. I don't do dark submerged yep. areas very well. Interesting. Uh, and so I was kind of excited about like, yes, I'm going. I am going to do this to myself. And it was one of those games where like. There was one enemy encounter specifically where the game was like really cranking up like the music and the intensity. And I think it was like the light like came out of his head and he's like walking around and I yeah. kind of rope a doped him. Like I just I found some like loop that I was like, oh, I just got to get around this corner and then I can leave. And there were a couple encounters that way where I was like, this isn't that tough to get away from the bad guy. But it, then then like you get out into open water and like oof. so it, it had peaks and valleys like mm. it was. When it was over, uh, the story though was ten out of ten. Holy cow! Yeah, um, that game just leaves you in a very interesting void emotionally when you're finished with it. You're like, this is kind of a sad, sad place to be. 
Yeah, thinking about um, Dark Descent, I, I feel like the way that that story comes together is is it's just kind of like a very, very, very slow buildup. And mm-hmm. there's certainly like a pretty, there's a lot in Rebirth that's keeping you in the dark. Um, and you, I, I feel like you are kind of like uncovering a, a broader mystery. But at the same time, I feel like so much is happening in the story. And I don't, I certainly don't want to go into spoilers. Um, but there was a moment that happened and I was like, oh, wow, really? Like, I thought we'd be looking for that the rest of the game and we're not. Okay, cool. And so um, th- there's kind of this this level of unpredictability to it. Th- there was definitely a moment where I'm like, okay, things are not maybe as safe or expected as I thought they would be. That is really cool. And I, I think the other thing that I really like about um, Rebirth is it it doesn't rely on the monster chasing. I feel like uh, I am stressed out without the monster even being present just because Mm -hmm. darkness can freak you out so much and cause your your character to just like completely lose control. And I think because of that mechanic, it's not like, oh, I don't need something to be chasing me to Mm -hmm. to feel that tension. And I think that's really important that, that... they've gone out of their way to do other things. Um, and I also feel like, cause like in, you know, in Amnesia and Soma, you can just kind of pick up everything. And that's like a big part of the novelty is like, Oh, I can, you know, pick up this cup and spin it around and throw it. I really like where they place items in rebirth because a lot of times I'd just be like, Oh, I'm just having fun. Ha ha ha. Picking up this pot and you spin it around. It's like, there were matches in there in this completely inconspicuous pot. That I, uh. that I wasn't thinking about. And so now it's kind of training me to be like, hey, interact with as much as possible. Um, mm. And so I, I like that as well. I feel like I'm, I'm having more meaningful exploration and more reason to kind of poke and prod um, everything and like lift covers off of stuff and, and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's great. I, I also think it's been really well paced. Um, it, it's hard in games like this where you're just kind of running around solving puzzles uh, in first person and things chase you. I, I think you run into the danger of, of things just kind of losing their luster. I, I think um, despite doing a lot of good things, like I think Alien Isolation is just too long, for instance. And I'm not finished with Rebirth, so maybe I'll get to that opinion. But just transitioning areas... Um, I, I feel like I've been in every single spot just as long as I kind of want to be. And it's gone from kind of more focused, like just get to the end, just get to the end sections versus like I was in a fort and it felt a lot more like, oh, I wonder what's over there. And and you just had a little bit more room uh, to breathe in, in some sections of that. So it's been a nice balance. And there's also unexpected transitions where it's like, okay, I'm going along. Oh, I need to go over there and they're like, oh, I fell through the floor and suddenly I'm in a totally different situation. And uh, now I guess I'm in this new area. And so I, I think it, um, it definitely keeps you on your toes. But um, from Dark Descent and Soma and Rebirth, I feel like Frictional just keeps knocking it out of the park. And again, haven't finished this one. Maybe maybe it'll be my least favorite mm. of, of what they've done so far. But uh no, they they they've done a good job. I, I'm very impressed at the moment. Hmm. So, um, Brandon, did you play Machine for Pigs, the second Amnesia game? 
I did not. And I did not finish the first Amnesia. I just played enough to gotcha. for a countdown or something. Some feature we did where I was like, it's time. And people keep talking about this. I, I definitely want to check it out. Um, it's funny because like, you know, being in, in my Amnesia kick, I uh, checked out Machine for Pigs. And I think I might be hard out because it was made by Chinese Room. And yeah. they, you don't have to worry about lantern oil at all. Like, right. You, I don't even know if you have really much of an inventory, but you just didn't have to worry about resources in the same way that you had to do in Dark Descent. I'm like, this is just not as interesting. Like, a huge part of these games is it, how am I managing resources? Like, oh, I wasted that. Like, it adds so much. And mm. when you don't have that and you're just creeping around and it's just spooky stuff happening, I don't know. It's just not not as engaging to me. But... Yeah, I really like um, Rebirth. We've got uh, some busy times ahead, so I don't know how slowly or quickly I'll get through it. But grab me, grab me in the moment for sure. Very good to hear. Nice. And I like that. Yeah, Huber said like uh, I don't know if it was on Syndrome or Groupstream or something, but he was like, "This, this is the game." He's like, "If you're looking for the game to play, like if you're oh, just like, yeah, I, I just Halloween. need one yeah. game, one scary game, something to you know spook me out on Halloween." It's like there you go, you know. It's funny that you say that because uh, I've been playing Outlast as well. And if you just mm-hmm. want like something to yeah, scare yeah, yeah. you, yeah, Outlast, it, it, I feel like that kind we'll of is, <laughs> begins and ends there. I mean, there's more to say about Outlast, but like I don't find the story, at least in Outlast 1, to be that great. Whereas you can play Amnesia Rebirth and yes, it'll probably spook you. And yes, it'll probably stress you out a little bit, but... There's so much more. Like I'm playing it also because I really want to see what's going to happen in the story mm. as well. I, I don't know. I think they uh, smart takes on horror at Frictional Games. Shout out. Nice. Uh, but Brandon, mm. I want to give you uh, the best take for how you talked about Bly Manor. You know, not as hot mm. on it, but I felt like you handled it pretty respectfully. Um, so what this segment is, just to refresh the audience really quick, is... Uh, we will, I'll, I'll throw Brandon a category and Brandon, this is like the weirdest one I've ever done. So I hope you're ready. <laughs> I'll throw Brandon a category and he has to combo together opinions. So he'll, he'll, he'll make a statement about the topic I give him. I'll decide if it's good or bad. And we try to keep going for, for a few of them. Uh, the topic this time is gore in horror movies. It's a tricky one. Oh, there's nothing tricky about it. I'm beautiful very glad I do not have this. All right. <laughs> It'd be very difficult for me to come up with something. Ready? Ready. So gore, I guess, as you're traditionally saying, is, you know, it's kind of like in video games, like in Mortal Kombat. You know, do you want to turn the blood on or off? You know, and and some people, uh, everybody has different things that, uh, you know, affect them in horror. You know, like obviously little kids crying is not something that affected me in my 20s as much as it affects me now. Mm. Uh, obviously, if you were to lose a friend or a loved one, you know, and see that in a film or if you were to have moved or if you were to have, you know, an abusive relationship or something, there's there's all sorts of emotional connections. And uh, gore is a fascinating thing because for some people that has very little effect and for some people uh, that is a, a definitely the thing that they seek you know, the, the Saw fans of the world. So it definitely is its own particular genre of horror. It should almost be like at the video store. You can just gore the signs up there in but, red. But the question is, how does it affect you? How does it affect me? Yeah, how well do you handle gore? Um, I handle gore pretty well. It's interesting to... You know, when I think about gore, 
I think about <laughs> one time that I was doing the dishes and I uh, there's a, uh, bl- uh, a food processor that Amanda uses. And boy, is that blade sharp. And that sucker went right into my finger when I was uh, wa- when I was uh, watching it. And I think about that ever since. Every single time I've like done it since, I'm just like, you're not going to do that again. And I remember when it went in, this was just like a microcosm, a fraction of all of the different thoughts going through my brain. But one of them was, ooh, it's a good cut. You know, it was like that satisfaction, like when you cut into like a good slice of meat and you're like, mm, yeah, you know, that, that give – the sinew oh, and the, the, the you know oh, the flesh boy. starts to separate with the blade and just it just has this raw kind of satisfactory feeling. It was very very tiny, but it was there. And I remarked on it later, like that's some creepy ass shit that I thought about. <laughs> like, like I got that gore satisfaction. Follow up um, question: Have you murdered someone? I have not. <laughs> Okay. I've gone, but you know, it's, it's like everything in life. So it's like skydiving and bungee jumping, two things I have done. So it's, uh, you know, it's on the list. I just, you know, I'm in, I'm in my early forties. I'll get, to, I'll get there. Which was scarier, uh, skydiving tis or bungee the season. jumping? Uh, bungee jumping. You wouldn't think so. Mm. You wouldn't think. But uh, I, with, with uh, skydiving, I was in tandem. So like the guy jumped out and I was attached to him. Whereas like bungee jumping, I had to jump. And the moment my feet left the edge of that bridge, my brain was like, what did you do? <laughs> like what it, my brain was mad at me it was like you idiot <laughs> but i eventually enjoyed it um you know it's funny because I, i've been in such a horror mood but i don't think any part of me wants to go skydiving or bungee jumping i don't oh, know wow. i don't think i i don't know i yeah. freaks me out man yeah i got i got so desensitized to skydiving because of my brother so it's it was funny you know that it it wasn't that big of a deal to me, hmm. uh, in a way, you know. Uh, I mean, it Wait, was definitely was your, fun. Was your it's brother a great experience. like a crazy skydiver? For a while, like he had a phase where two or three years he was uh, going to the drop zone almost every weekend, and uh, had his own huh? rig and everything, his own shoot. And but the times between, you know, when you're at the airport and you're just waiting for your turn essentially to go up Mm -hmm. you know you're just sitting around waiting so he would drag me out there because he was bored even though i was underage and i couldn't do it (laughs) and so i would just be there watching people skydive all weekend and uh and then yeah for my 18th birthday then he he paid for me to to get a jump in but yeah he got like i want to say like 300 or 400 jumps before he (laughs) got out of it dude this, wow. wow, the secret life of, of Blowworth. I, uh, on our honeymoon, we, I, we went ziplining in New Zealand. Oh, great. And that was fun. But mm. I feel like that's way less scary than bungee jumping and skydiving. Oh, and the other fun fact about it, that was the first time I had actually been in an airplane. Oh, at oh, 18. Nice. Uh, but Brandon, got yeah. off track here a little bit. Do you have another opinion about gore in horror movies? I, I don't have any gory uh, skydiving stories, unfortunately. I would hope not. Um, there oh. are gory. People will tell gory stories about airplanes and accidents when you're sitting around the drop zone. I'll tell you See, that. See, man, no. <laughs> like, if, I think if you can do it and you can actually drag yourself to the skydiving place, don't do that. Right. Like, don't make it worse. Mm-hmm. There's, always, there's gotta be that one guy, yeah. you know, like by the you know, right as you're leaving and like, ah, oh, did I tell you about my uncle? Like, no, I'm just getting on the plane right now. Please don't. Well, the thing about that you absolutely have to say about gore is humor. I mean, like gore is definitely tied to humor. You know, there have definitely been uh, I think of the uh, uh the Sam Raimi films, yes. you know, like there's there it's interesting when you see Evil Dead, there kind of is this 
fascinating dichotomy of it just kind of ping pongs. Normally I hate stuff like this, but it just keeps going back and forth between comedy and horror. It's, you're scared, you're laughing. Um, and he's always, he has like an intensity to him. I think of the work of Tom Savini. I hope I'm getting his name correct. Um, but uh, a very famous uh, director and actor and, uh, but uh, specifically uh, special effects wizard that did lots of blood and, and guts and stuff. And mm-hmm. um and so it's it's interesting when I think about specifically the way like blood looked in the 80s, you know, it's just like very red, very colorful, mm-hmm. you know, now it's like a lot more subdued. Um, when you see it, it's actually, it's a very dark color, but there's just kind of this neon, like late 80s, you know, blood, you know, concept of gore. So it's interesting when, to think of those horror movies. I believe it was either Dawn of the Dead, I think it's Day of the Dead, where they take a guy's head and they rip it off his neck. And he's screaming when this happens. And then the scream gets really high pitched because his larynx is being stretched. And I was like, ah, that looks really unbelievable and silly. And at the same time, what an absolutely horrifying concept that like doesn't matter how good the special effects was. It just put that thought in my head. And I'm like, oh, well, that's terrifying. And I'll think about that until the day I die. Like just that idea, knowing that like that, you know, horrible thing could happen. And then I saw outtakes of that. And it's always fun to see outtakes of popular horror films. And you have all these zombies just rah, screaming and then they all cut and everyone cracks up. <laughs> like everyone in the room, all the zombies with the stuff in their mouth and everything, the person being eaten, you know, because it's so ridiculous what they're doing. But that's shooting horror movies. You, you just made me think to myself, like, it sounds so much fun to be in, in a horror movie, like to be a zombie or something. I yeah. love that. That'd be great. I shot a zombie film in uh, film school in college, and uh, that was there was nothing not fun about that. We were sure. shooting it was like five in the morning. We were exhausted. We were just cracking up the whole time. It's great. You mentioned um, Sam Raimi and Evil Dead, and I've been watching uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, the TV series, mm. and it, it feels like every episode somebody is like getting like a fountain of blood or some other gross liquid just thrown on them. Like every it just happens. I don't know if I feel bad for these actors or or if it's fun or what, but they're just like they're just drenched in blood all the time, like all of them. It's it's great. It's very entertaining. All right, do you think you've got one more gore take before we move sure. on? Sure. Well, I mean, there is. You know, I was talking about like late eighties, nineties gore, and I think there definitely is a a change in gore, kind of more. Um, realistically, I think of something like, you know, we talked about Midsummer earlier in that. And the reason why it was like Midsummer was just completely on the list. And then the moment I saw it on some streaming service, I immediately went to it was because the same guy that did Hereditary. Mm-hmm. And Hereditary uh, has the gore, but like it's much more now about um, kind of a raw visceralness, like sound design comes into it a lot more. Um, uh, realism. Uh, just watched uh, uh, Sweeney Todd. Uh, which is a fun movie to go back and, and watch. It's kind of like a theme park ride. It's like not, it's a kind of unbelievable and goofy and, um, but uh, at the same time, a lot of fun practical effects. And um, one effect that they did, which I thought was really, really well done uh, and very creepy was obviously there's, oh, no, I'm sorry, not Sweeney Todd. Uh, Ichabod Crane, hello, Sleepy Hollow. Um, mm. The other things that's two words and starts with S. And there's a lot of decapitated heads in Sleepy Hollow. And there's a surprising amount of gore in this. And it's actually kind of like, I wouldn't mind if a teenager watched this. I think if Milo was like 14 and I'm like, sure. I mean, you know, you've probably seen lopping off of heads. There's, they, that happens well, in fairy branded. tales. It's like, sure, fine. Um, you know, there's definitely kind of more severe, hereditary, no. Mm. <laughs> but it's like these old English chaps getting their heads lopped off. I think it's fine. But um, uh, 
there's one shot where a little kid, uh, his mom gets her head lopped off and upstairs and he's down underneath the floorboards. And they actually had the actor roll over and look between the floorboards, kind of where her head stopped rolling. And so it's like a, it's a very easy practical effect. They just got the actor to do it. But just the way they sped up the film and the fact that, like, you know, that's not a fake head. You know, that's actual eyes like looking through the floor. Um, definitely has much more of an impact because when you see the like fake head lift up off the ground later, it's like, okay, like that something about your brain that you're like, I know <laughs> that's not real. The reveal of a head like, ah, uh, like I know it's not, it's just kind of like if you do how you do sound design, how you have the story leading up to that. Um, so it's interesting seeing effect work get so much better, but directors at the same time realizing like, just cause it does look real doesn't mean, um, we should go nuts with it. It's one of my least favorite scenes in Alien. Alien is such a good film, except it has one of the worst special effects I've ever seen in horror or sci-fi or anything where Ian Holm is, you know, like smashed apart and they try to put it back together. And it's just this like dumb Ian Holm plastic head. Like, ah, the 70s. Uh, Gore. I think part of what makes some of the violence in Midsummer so terrifying is the fact that it happens in broad daylight as well. And it's just like such a casual... Yeah. I'm thinking of one scene kind of in, in the beginning, but uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. It's kind of like Jaws, where it's just this, you know, you know horrifying moments set, a, a, you know, in the middle of gorgeous ocean, you know, like on a beautiful day, you know, but uh, yeah, when, when stuff like that's done well. Yeah, you talk you talk about like the, the buildup and the story that you're doing. And I, I've, I only saw the movie once in theaters, but I, I think one of the things that like got to me the most, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the very end, the very, very, very end of Drag Me to Hell and what Ooh. happens uh, yeah. <laughs> really like made my stomach churn yep. because yep. of the journey that they went on and then what ultimately ended up happening. Like it was just, it was like yeah. tragedy. <laughs> oh, uh, Slam dunk. Yeah. And it's, uh, th- that's another thing about horror that I think horror can pull off like mystery too. Um, you know, like thrillers and stuff. But like, if I've seen some pretty mediocre horror films that had a dynamite ending and mm. it's like, ooh, put that one on the shelf. You know, it's just so satisfying after an hour, 40 minutes to have them be like, and life sucks for everybody credits. Yeah. You're like, yes. Like, <laughs> I always love when somebody gets screwed at the end of a horror movie where it's like, oh, they're out. No, they're not. Like, ha ha ha. It's great. Um, This best take, thank you, Brandon, for the... Uh... For the takes. Um, this best take is brought to you by some wonderful shout outs to your patrons. If you would like us to shout you out on all of our podcasts, go to patreon.com slash easy allies where you can find more information. And so I think I'm going to read all of these shout outs. And then what I thought we would do panel uh, for the shout out edition is say shout out and as scared a voice as we can muster be as afraid as you oh. can make yourself be, mm-hmm. or, you know, however you want to interpret that. <laughs> so shout out to L. Thanis, Greg, the Dark Knight Kettering, and Caleb Togi Crawford. Shout out. Out. It was like a, like an effect on your voice. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, Blood. Mm-hmm. What is I Am Dead? <laughs> That's a good question because I don't think I actually had the best reference for what I thought it was going to be compared to what it is. Um, So I had this perception that this would be kind of uh, essentially a point and click adventure game. Mm. 
and in a way it it pulls on those strings but it's more of like um a 3d hidden object game okay uh which which can sound less interesting than it is um but essentially uh it's it starts off uh with you in first person walking down a beach you know and you're just reminiscing and relaxing and, and it's a very actually it's a very chill relaxing game overall um but then you get to this bench and you're like oh yeah that's that's my name and then like and you see the the death date on the bench it's like oh yeah yeah i, I didn't mention that yeah i i am dead and then, then then that's when the title screen pops up is that played comedically a little bit okay yeah there's a lo- there's a bit of comedy in here and and really like the vibes of the game i was again just kind of like with discrim like i'm trying to like like what is the best way to sort of like encapsulate what this is like and i feel like i feel like i going back to like i'm watching an episode of reading rainbow um it it's like it's made it's almost like it's made to be like a kid's book but it's a little more like emotionally in depth than you would get out of a kid's book but like a lot of the way the art style looks and you know just kind of the vibes of things gives you that that feel wait a minute are you saying reading rainbow has great emotional depth (laughs) no i'm what i'm saying is i'm saying this this game like it goes like deeper into like you know people's backstories and things and stuff that like like a kid probably wouldn't connect to right but it makes you feel like something that you experience when you're a kid um a bit more and so essentially the way things work so yes you're a ghost you haven't been dead that long uh but then pretty early on used to be a curator in this museum and then you kind of like go and visit the museum and you start getting these clues to uh, like about how you interact with the world and stuff. And so with this sort of hidden object thing is it kind of, it kind of gives you like this, this joy and this, this kind of sense of wonder of just being able to like look at objects and turn them around and like zoom into them and, and what they call like slicing through them. So like you kind of like hold a shoulder button to like zoom in and out in a way to where you can, you can peek inside of things. That actually and sounds just, very this, similar to amnesia. Mm. Yeah, there's, but there's like this the satisfaction of being able to look into something. And so if there's a, a bit of luggage, you know, on the ground and, and you peek inside that bit of luggage and like you can say, okay, there's some there's some clothes and some shoes and then like a toothbrush and, and razor. And it's like a lot more detail than you might expect. And like even if you zoom into like a pile of pencils, you can slice through it to the point where like you see the pencil lead go all the way through the pencil. Oh, neat. Uh, or, you know, you see like a little... Um, like a mound of dirt in in the forest then you zoom in and like oh there's like a rabbit den and there's some baby bunnies over here and there's a carrot over here and there's some other you know little uh whatever like some things that the rabbits drug underground uh and so there's that satisfying element and so with that mechanic then they kind of you know they say to 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 look for this object and so the first object that you look for is sort of the the dog tag on your dog and and you so you look into the dog's urn and there's the ashes with the dog tag on top and when you do that essentially like you you're able to connect to the ghost of your dog blood this sounds so much like ghost trick oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it in a way yeah i but you're not like setting up kind of like these sequences of events in the same in the same manner um but then 
your dog starts talking to you and you're like, whoa, you can talk now that you're a ghost? And your dog's like, no, I could always talk. You just couldn't understand me. Uh, <laughs> and the dog basically starts explaining to you like the rules of the afterlife and what's going on. And you're on this island and there's this volcano there that everybody thought was dormant, but it's starting to smolder a bit. And, and, and you even like your character starts arguing with the dog. And it's like, no, no, that, that volcano's dormant. There's nothing to worry about there. And it's like, no, no. The custodian has been keeping the volcano from erupting. And now basically the custodian's been there for who knows however many years. He's getting bored. He wants to retire. And, you know, we've got to find a new custodian. I, I hope that or the custodian volcano... is getting paid a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, or the volcano will erupt and destroy you know, the whole town, the whole island. Uh, and so you essentially basically have to go around the town and the island and try to find, you know, these other ghosts of people that you knew when you were alive and essentially try to find the right candidate who's going to be the new custodian. And so you kind of, the way you go about doing that is you go to a location. So the first location uh, that you go to is a lighthouse uh, where they've had uh, yoga retreats. And the yoga, the the person that founded the yoga retreats and all of that, he's passed away, and you're and you're going through his students, and so basically, so like with the dog, with the memento of of the dog tag, mm -hmm. you have to find mementos that will connect you to the the uh, the yoga instructor's ghost, and to find the right objects that are going to be meaningful, you have to interact with the memories of his yoga students and and go through what they remember about him and different situations uh that they had had and then by doing that you'll be able to identify an object and then you'll look through the level to find that object okay so the memories are not tied to the objects the memories are how you find out what the objects are right so do you get the memories by like Go interacting with people yeah so you find a person and certain people will have like little thought bubbles popping okay. up over their head and then as same way that you slice through an object you sort of slice into the person's mind mm. uh and then you kind of do this thing with the triggers where you you pull like an image into focus by you know you go left and right until you get it like perfectly lined up and when you do that, then they will kind of narrate uh, a, a scene. And then once they're done talking, you know, for a couple of sentences, then you click to the next thing and you've got to, you know, pull the next scene into focus until you eventually narrow in on like what this next object you're going to look for is. Bring, bringing the object into focus sounds like it would only be okay if you don't have to kind of slice it into people all the time. But if it's something you're doing constantly, I can imagine that mechanic getting a little bit annoying. I think it just, it works because it's, it's a, like, it's a storytelling mechanic. And so like, that's, you know, it's, it's not just that, you know, it's, you're finding the object, but this is like where all the meaning to this stuff is. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying it's like, it's more interesting than you would think from a hidden object game because the objects are the way that they sort of, they build this world and they build up each of these characters and the people that they've interacted with over time. Um, 
how is this game sort of broken up? Like, are you, or is it divided up into specific areas? So like the lighthouse is an area and this town is an area, or is it all like seamless? Like, I guess how, how open is it when you're kind of hunting around for things? Yeah. So I would say that there's, yeah, there's different locations that essentially act as, as levels. Um, and like each of the, I think there's like f five or six people that you, it looks like, I don't know if it gets even further later in the game. But at this point, it looks like there's five or six people that you're going to do in sequence. Um, and so each one of them is tied to a location. And so like with the lighthouse, you can kind of circle around the whole lighthouse and go up and down the different floors and look for people and look at objects. And what's kind of interesting is that you can, uh, you can also just sort of mouse over things and look at objects that are not the thing that you're looking for. And in certain instances, there will be more story mm. to this object or okay. there will be like a, a, a garden room and you can mouse over the plants and like there'll just be like botanical facts about these plants and their Latin names and things like that. And so there's just a lot of like extra little things to discover, uh, including uh, some uh, like side objectives. Uh, what are they called? These little creatures, Grinkins. <laughs> Uh, and again, these look like something just like straight out of a kid's book mm. uh, to where when you get to certain rooms, the dog will start sniffing. It's like, oh, I think there's a Grinkin in here. And you'll just get like this this image that looks a lot of times it'll look abstract uh, because what you then have to do is you kind of have to like look through different objects and kind of slice in and out until you get sort of this cross section that matches uh, the image there. And then you've discovered the Grinkin. And so far, I haven't seen those be of any use other than to just be like additional objectives, like additional, just like collectible kind of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also a character. Uh, the second area is like a sculpture garden where like a bunch of artists have just, you know, crafted all of these different uh, installations and things. Uh, and there is uh, a character called Mr. Wistable, who is like a little goat character. Uh, who talks to you when you find this map of the garden. I like how this game is naming things so far. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he will give you, essentially they will just be like, like they're, they call them riddles, but it's just, it's just like two or three word uh, clues. And you'll have a, essentially a timer to, okay, this thing is in the level, go figure out what it's talking about, you know? Mm. So, uh, and it, so it makes more sense to kind of do that after you've done a few of the other puzzles in, in there and and then sort of hunt, hunt down what what they're doing but it's it's like i said it's there is that interesting thing of like just that discovery of mm -hmm. okay i'm gonna see what's here what can i interact with you know there's some kids in a tree house and then like okay there's a little box there in the tree house as well and what's in that is like oh there's a kazoo and there's like an arrowhead and it's like all of these things that just they, they make sense but there's just this the satisfaction of, of peeking inside of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I like in games like that, to, to me, it's, you can pull something like that off in a very limited level of detail and coloring of stuff, just as long as something is physically there and I can recognize it. Like a lot of times, yeah. just the, you know, seeing something in a space, you know, is, is enough. It doesn't necessarily have to be like the most realistic looking tiny object I've ever seen, but just being like, oh, look at that, you know. Uh, and I love... Um, I love just the, the, the kind of like the dollhouse aspect of this where you're just kind of opening up doors and uh, I've always loved models and stuff. So like, damn, I'm uh, 
this this might be creeping up my list of games I'm never ever going to play in 2020. It sounds <laughs> super intriguing. You've done a yeah. very good job of describing it. Um, yeah. When you when you kind of get to once you've pieced everything together and you get to a ghost, um, yeah. Does just sort of like a, a straightforward story segment play, or is it more of like you choose what to talk to them about and you have dialogue options? Um, you don't really have dialogue options that I've seen yet, but I basically have just done the first one. I didn't complete the second one yet. Sure. But there is a bit of a, a like an extra little, I guess I would call mini game to it. To uh, so once you've found all of uh, the mementos. Uh, oh, and what's funny too is that sometimes. Uh, you're not just dealing with people like one of the mementos in the lighthouse is like there was this cormorant sitting on a perch and you go through and like its memory was it had stolen uh, the lighthouse keeper's Rubik's cube and put it in its nest and it's like oh they were really mad they really liked that thing (laughs) and then the Rubik's cube was the memento Uh, but uh, oh yeah and then even the like the lighthouse like the lens on the lighthouse Mm. Like you mouse over that and like it gives you like this whole like historical backdrop of like who like invented that like uh, that system, mm. you know, like the, the lighthouse lens and everything and the lighting. So, yeah, so it's a lot of these like things that you don't necessarily expect when you're just you're just exploring. Uh, but anyways, so when you find the whole series of mementos in a the level, then uh, your dog Sparky pops out. And okay, like now I've got to hunt down the the fragments of the ghost. And so basically you just like fly around, circle around the lighthouse and like bark at the fragments, uh, almost like you're a sheepdog gathering sheep and then bring them all to like the main, uh, the main fragments uh, that you can recognize of that person and sort of reassemble them. And then you can talk to them. Hmm. Cool. Uh, do you have any idea how long the game is? You said you put I, about what two hours into it. Yeah, I put about two. Uh, yeah, hour and a half or two hours. Um, it doesn't seem that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is obviously, like I was saying, there's a lot of extra space that you can explore and 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 play around and and look at different things in the levels. Uh, so, if the map and what I've seen so far is any indication, I would I would guess it would probably be like six or eight hours, mm-hmm. but. Okay. I don't know if it would have something that would lead you into like another zone later on or if the levels get more complex because I just did the first one. Brandon. Mm. Are you ready mm. to talk to me about Castle Storm 2? Yeah, I'm going to talk to you about both Castle Storms. Yeah. Man. Oh, okay. I, I feel like I, I have no knowledge of Castle Storm. Because some people out there might be like, what storm? Yeah, but um, I feel like every time it comes up, you're like you're like a Castle Storm cheerleader. It's very endearing. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a simple game. It's a very uh, World of Warcraft-y kind of jokey vibe. You know, everything. You just, you know, storm wind with the big gold shoulder pads. You know, just mm-hmm. that kind of like fantasy. It's um, funny because Warcraft aesthetic. can either be like extremely jokey or like deathly serious like it really no this is all all jokey all the time lots of self-referential humor uh lots lots of slapstick and it is action strategy i like a little bit of strategy uh, sorry action in my strategy um and uh the first castle storm attracted me with just like uh a trailer screenshot i just kind of saw i was like wait how is this game working this was 360 Um, 
This was 360p yeah. PS3. I played it on 360. I don't know if it was on PS3, but this is last gen. Um, and this is not something where like this gen, they, you know, are like really, really cranking up, you know, the visuals. It is a cute and pretty game, but uh, it is a strategy game where you are doing a lot of stuff. I want to start with Castle Storm because one of the things that's fascinating is how different Castle Storm 2 is. Um, but in, in the the heart of Castle Storm is that you are defending a castle on the on typically the left side of the screen. Mm. Your attackers are also come from a castle, although not always, on the right side of the screen. And you are defending your base, maintaining all the action that's happening in the middle of the field, and trying to destroy their castle all in real time, all at the same time. And so you have to manage projectiles that you're throwing over at this castle, uh, any sort of defensive measures that you want to do to stop things from hitting your castle, and you can also send troops... Uh, that'll move at their pace, you know, like mounted things will move faster than just swords. Like uh, archers will stop at some point and will shoot stuff from range, but are also susceptible from other things that are happening. Uh, I remember in the old game, I haven't gotten to this point, but you could like send out griffins that'll clear out the air in between castles. Um, and so it's kind of fun juggling all of these different, um, getting into the rhythm of knowing the controls so that I can like be managing one thing or see when a, something goes off cooldown or I get enough resources to like, send a really expensive unit through. Um, and so now, and, I, and, and you're just constantly leveling stuff up and then you, the level will be easier the next time you do it. If you choose to level up a um, defense or something. Now I know why you're so into this. Cause it sounds like it's perfectly scratching that tower defense mm. itch. Yeah. Which, yeah. which I love so much, but mostly like just this kind of plants versus zombies progression build. Mm. I, I love it. So and, and tower defense does that a lot where you start with very little, but then by the end of a level, you just have like a lot of different, plate spinning uh and it's fun to to kind of manage that and feel like you know to start very small but then feel just like this huge force that you're pushing against something so how do so you get... some levels you just barely survive and some levels it's like oh man i just you know cut right through that thing and crushed it um how do you get resources to kind of produce all the things that you need to defend an attack they just it just collects over time okay and okay. you can uh depending on how you've uh, what you've leveled up, you can choose to level up that speed if you're like, okay, I, you know, and that's me. Like, I, I tend to go after resources as opposed to like strength and magic power and stuff like that. It's like, I'll get to that later. I just want to make sure I'm constantly being given the stuff that I need. And uh, I haven't gotten into super crazy base building in two, but you can't bring everything into a base because your castle can only be a certain size depending on the level that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so you can go through, you can set up like an auto castle because I didn't really want to, you know, get, you know, min max that too much. I was like, uh, but you can place different things in your castle and then depending on what is in your castle will affect what you can do in each level mm. and whatever they destroy, you lose that. So if you're like, okay, well I put my archers top, right. But that's the first thing that they can hit in my castle. When that archer room goes down, you can't summon archers anymore. That's interesting. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and it was it was just a fun game. To, I kept coming back to it because it's a fun game to, like, level up. It's just kind of my whole approach to strategy and RPGs and everything. It's just fun to be like, I am way too powerful. And yeah. I got to a point. I remember there was one item that was just this <laughs> giant hammer. And I was just like, you know, like how like 15 seconds. I destroyed that castle. That was fun. Uh, and I don't know if you've played this, if you had this situation, Blood, you play a lot of indie games, and I can't recall this another specific example, but it definitely is a very particular mood, where you play a game that you're so into, Cat Quest 1 comes to mind on the Switch, where I was like, oh, that was fun. Then they announce a sequel, and you're like, you know what, if this is only 10, 20 bucks or something, I don't need a reason. I know I'm going to play this. I know I'm at least going to jump in for this for two hours. So just mm -hmm. let me know when that game finally launches and I'll check it out. And you like, don't watch any trailers. You don't watch it. You're just like, I know it's going to satisfy me because it's not that big of an investment. 
Um, and then you jump in and you're like, wait, what? And they, like, the, the, the developers decided like, no, we're, we have weird ideas for the sequel. And you're like, finally going through it. Like, it doesn't happen a lot with AAA games because I watch so many trailers. We talk about it so much. Like, I know Cyberpunk. It's like the plot will surprise me. But like, I already know what class I'm going to pick. I already know what car I want. You know, whereas like in this, I, I went in and they were like, surprise, we have a civilization, you know, uh, you know, um, like six sided cube thing. Hex, hex based map. I'm yeah. sorry, the hex based yeah. map that you have to c- control, and now you got to build buildings before you build up resources. You're leveling up, you know that now too, and now you have to mm-hmm. move as far as you can, and then end your turn before the enemy can move in and even decide what battles you're going to be getting into. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like I only got six hours before I have frame trap. <laughs> you know, like how am I? So, so at the point I am with castle storm two, I'm still kind of learning the ropes. Like mm. there's a lot of new systems that they added onto it. So I, I, I'm kind of divided where I'm, am enjoying a lot of these things on top of it, but I was not expecting, you know, all of this other stuff to happen. And so it's, it, you know, they definitely didn't, you know, we're just, Oh, we'll just have some story or some fun idea. And that's, you know, uh, I, I recently talked about Orcs Must Die and like that very much follows the format of like same thing you love, a little bit extra. And this mm-hmm. is like same thing you love with all sorts of crazy new systems built on top of it that you're going to have to get through. So, and so I'm enjoying mostly, but it's just a lot. You're obviously still at the beginning, but does any part of you just kind of on those initial reactions feel like maybe they ruined the simplicity a little bit? Um. No, it just took me – it's simplicity based on right where I left the series. So, like, mm-hmm. right when I left this, I was bouncing between menus. I was picking one level to, to get five-star on it because I never did now that I've leveled this one unit up to a certain point. Uh, whereas at the point I am now with Castle Storm 2, like, I'm actually kind of into the story, figuring out what they're doing with some of these characters and, re- like, vaguely remembering, like, oh, yeah, there was that tribal gal. I wonder if she's coming back or, like, I wonder if I unlock her – because a lot of the stuff was just given to you in Castle Storm 1, whereas in this one, it's like, no, I actually went on, like, a mission to then, okay, now I got the archer because I rescued him. And, okay, now he's a part. Whereas, like, it's just like, ah, level four, here's an archer. Like, that's how Castle Storm 1 worked. Hmm. And so it's just um, everything is thought out. There's, like, a step to all of it in terms of, like, not only the resources that you get, but, like, how you're progressing across the map and um and, you know, it was literally just like level three, you know, now is, you know, oh, OK, now I'm in the forest, I guess. Um, so it's interesting to uh, to play something that I didn't necessarily think it wasn't broke. So it didn't need fixing. But it's interesting to see the team, you know, be like, this is a series that we thought was capable of more. There were more systems that we wanted to add to it as opposed sure. to just like different units, different backgrounds. Um you know, when I initially saw it, there's like a, zo- a zombie vibe that kind of runs through, like a, a necromancy vibe that kind of uh, oh, well. sparks the plot, which is fun uh, to, to have in October. Um, but necromancy is I, I, so cool. Yeah, it's so hot right now. But I thought, so when I initially saw the trailer, just kind of piecing it together in my head, I'm like, oh, I bet you're like the bad guys this time. You know, I bet that's the spin. Is It's like, it's the same old setup that you love. It's just the units change. Now you're playing as all the things you were fighting before. Whereas it's like, no, this is a whole new... A whole new crazy thing. Even just the logo has like bat wings on it. So I was like, oh, this will have jolly, you know, Halloween vibes. Um, With a big weakness that I have, Brandon, with strategy games is I really get into my own head and I tend to like start strategy games over repeatedly where I'm like, oh, no, wait, now that I know this, Mm -hmm. why do Why would I ever do that? And mm-hmm. like, I just am very punishing with myself because uh, as you're learning the game, right, you're, you're going to make really dumb mistakes. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you feel like it has accommodated the learning process? Cause it sounds like you have to like, 
you're expanding across this map and so you have to yeah. place things. And so mm-hmm. have you run into that situation yet where you play something and you're like, oh no, that was a terrible spot to put that a little, there. Yeah, a little bit more than I did certainly in the first game. Because mm-hmm. the first game I was just like, oh, I'll happily play that again because that level was only a couple minutes, you know? And I, I totally get the strategy. I didn't know three minutes in they were going to drop that big giant ogre thing on me. But like I do now, so I will have more troops down below. And, and I'm actually eager to do well. Like I'm eager to face that threat that I know is coming where in this, you kind of do have to pick up the pieces, not in like a cruel banner saga type way, but like there definitely is a like, well, you lost that battle. You lost a little ground or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you lost some resources. And so, uh, it's tricky. I, f- I feel bad. I always hate bringing this up because it's a little behind the scenes, like how the sausage is made, but like, it, it would definitely be a different thing if I wasn't hustling <laughs> to get this done in terms of coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, because I, I you know, I'm piecing together everything I'm going to work on, Ben, especially this week for the patron party. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, all right, three hours will suffice with that. And it's like, no, <laughs> you know, right. like I didn't, whoops, I should have done more research. Like I thought right. I was getting back into this game that I, I knew I would, the, I'm like this first level, I'm going to crush it. Right. And it's just like, whoa, new character, new mechanics, new, whoa. Like I'm actively, it starts off very action heavy. Like, and a lot of the first couple levels it's just you hacking and slashing and i was mm. like uh-oh this is like a totally different game or i i could so. i mean it makes sense why you would assume that though just based on your experience with the first game and so it's, it's really mm-hmm. interesting how much this is thrown you for a loop um i i feel like with tower defense games and i know that this game is very different from the first castle storm but when you finish an encounter, is there like a ranking that you get? It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you yeah. got three out of three stars or something like that. Yeah. Um, and does that affect progression at all? Like you get more rewards if you do extra. You get, more, you get more currency if you do well per level. You get more, uh, you know, ability to level people up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the question. There is some stuff that you can repeat, you know, at uh, once you get to a certain place in the campaign. And so it is rewarding like to go back and be like, oh, wait, you know, once you remember like, oh, it's been so long since I did that level. Let me just go completely dominate that, that now and check that off. You know, so it's fun. I, I like it's a struggle because I, I I definitely do lean more towards things like that where like you'll allow me to go back and just kind of like stomp some part of the game that was giving me trouble before as opposed to like an RPG system that's like always chasing you and always mm-hmm. like, no, no, challenge all everywhere. Like it's kind of, I don't know, I kind of like to flex, you know, my, my XP gain a little bit uh, sometime in games like this. And so it, it does kind of uh, have both of those things where like you're, there is a part you can go where you're you're learning new stuff and getting new abilities that's difficult and then you can go back to other stuff and Brendan, in a way, uh-huh. you sound like the the perfect MMO player because I, I feel like <laughs> for for some people, like the one of the best parts of an MMO is is flexing, you know, go, going into the hub right. and being like, "Look what I've I've got." But, yeah. Well, that was I jumped into World of Warcraft very late, and so it was fun to go to like. What's the the Scarlet Monastery? It was fun mm. to like go like Scarlet Monastery and just solo it. You know, it's like a level yeah. like seven seventy five hunter. You know, and I'm just like da da da. And there's a boss like I want to uh, kill him and like okay, yeah. what's that? You know, just to just to experience it. You learn hear the music and you know get get a sense of the story. Like oh yeah, I always flew past this. Right. I never knew what it was, but like oh neat. Okay. Black Rock Spire. Like never ran it, but I'll just run through it by myself. Um, it's fun. With like the November rush of reviews coming and 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 next gen of course. And with Castle Storm 2 being so different, is this something mm-hmm. that you see yourself returning to or you just don't have time for or it's like too complex to really keep up with or? It, it's got a shot. Okay. Uh, I think because I, I, could, I could see this as some, it depends 
Because I'm just anticipating that like next gen lull will be in February. It'd be like next gen. <laughs> you know, it's like we got <laughs> we got this rush, and then it's like, whoa, where'd all the games go? And like yeah. it'll kick back up before summer. Like March and April are going to be you know massive. But um, so yeah, it's uh, just because it's so easy to look at it from a completionist perspective to see that like five star, five star, five star, five star, four star. And it's mm. like, ah, <laughs> you know, like you, there's something in your brain. That you're just yeah. Like, yep. uh, I got to check that off. Even if I don't, you know, well, yeah, it's the kind of thing invested. with this room too. Like I was saying, you know, when you look at that map and you're like, all these boxes are yellow. Why is that one white? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I should go back to that one. <laughs> yes, and, it, exactly. and, yeah. and like I said, the action aspect of it is like, it's in one end, it's a timing thing where you're like, Oh, okay. I gotta, I gotta wait you know, to do this thing and then I'm going to use that ability or I'm going to, what am I bringing this troop in for? I got to bring in this other type of troop. And, but at the same time, you like one of the things you have this like, you know, crossbow on the top of your fence that can, you shoot things. And so you kind of have to learn angry bird style, that angle, you know, on when you're going to hit something. And when like a wolf is coming out and you just headshot it, you know, from like 50 yards, it's like, yes, you know, so like it's, it's fun. It's kind of got that three point, you know, feel when you, when you sink it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you're wrestling with like, okay, now I'm going to do the cool down and bring in my hero and now i can take out like 20 guys at once and so it's fun to again to to have all of those different um not like practices i guess skills you know to to be getting good at at the same time mm. uh, that'll affect performance like that five and then one of the things i think the fifth star is always uh time so it's like you could do really well but if you like you know took too long uh, if you just kind of let everything come to you before you defended yourself it's like you got to be a little more you know, a little quicker. How how long does an encounter take in Castle Storm Two? No more than like five minutes. Okay. I think. Like, okay. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. all they're all pretty quick. Uh, Which again is why why it's you know a, a likely game I could potentially go back to because it's like oh let me just boot up Castle Storm and sure click 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 get to that level try it. Um, but speaking of of a lot to manage, uh, I've started. <laughs> The Doom Eternal DLC, Doom Eternal, The Ancient Gods, Part 1. And <laughs> I feel like like pretty much after, maybe not every fight, but after many of the fights, I'm like, I need a break. That was, that yeah. was insane. <laughs> and I'm sure part of that is because I've been off the Doom Eternal horse for a little bit now. But um, I also just think... It is just so incredibly intense. And it's it's funny because mm-hmm. you start the DLC and you see like a couple of fodder enemies. And you're like, oh, okay, they're going to ease me in. And then just all of a sudden, like the the monster walls are closing in. And before you know it, uh, they, just, they just don't stop. And like every room you go into, it is like, okay, big encounter, big encounter, big encounter, waves of enemies. And it, it has just been relentless. But I think... Uh, what I'm admiring so much about the ancient gods is even though they're turning up the knob, it's not like, oh, I don't want to play this or, 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 oh, this is frustrating or oh, they've ruined it. Like one, I think it speaks to how well designed Doom Eternal was from the get go, where there's just so much strategy that you have to apply with a bunch of split second decisions. And it's like, okay, oh, I see that enemy. They need to be dismantled this way with this weapon and this attachment or like, oh, okay, I'm going to freeze them and jump over here. And just like how much you have to know your weapons, how much you have to know the enemies, how much you have to know each and every arena that you're in and how quickly you have to learn all of it because it can change. Like all of those things are constantly changing and it's just incredibly satisfying to master 
And what I've what I've loved about the ancient gods is I feel like there's so much thought put into these encounters. Um, and I think even if you go back to classic Doom, right? Uh, you think of old school Doom. There are definitely like doors that you would open and just be like, ha ha, here's a ton of enemies. Um, <laughs> well, it, it can kind of look like that at a glance here. I feel like how they're layering enemies and how they're ramping up the challenge and where they're putting you in, like it's so, 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 so careful um, where you have to learn it and it's brutal, but there's there's kind of a you can see the construction that went into it. It doesn't feel all thrown together, um, which is really cool. And uh, I've only done the first level so far of the DLC, but already I feel like I've encountered so much. Um, and it, it's felt like a pretty expansive level, and I just don't know if that's because the the difficulty is so high that like things are taking longer. But, man, it, it really takes you on a journey. You're like kind of on like this... this like oil rig looking structure in the middle of the ocean. And there's one moment where you're looking out in the mm. sea and you see like all of these destroyed boats and you're like, Oh, that's like a little bit of a different vibe than what I feel like you normally get from doom, which is cool. Mm, Despite yeah. the fact that it's, you know, very like sci-fi and industrial for a lot of it. But that, that one element with the boats felt a little bit different. Um, but yeah, so you have all of these different combat encounters, um, but there's also a good, emphasis on just platforming and finding secrets which is always fun um and just scouring that map trying to get everything they add a, a diving suit and you can go underwater oh. Whoa. <laughs> yeah and as you're underwater you can pick up oxygen and it's it's fun exploring and trying to find secrets under the ocean but i don't think the diving suit adds all that much like you can't mm -hmm shoot when you're underwater and you, you the only thing you can really do is dash and so it's it's you think you'll get something later that you shoot underwater or is i don't it know just yeah yeah one level yeah so that's that's important to say as i don't know how this mechanic will evolve over time but um like with the the platforming and, and in this DLC, there are moments where you're like, okay how do i get up there and you like really need to try to figure it out whereas this it's kind of like Okay, I open this thing. I go here. It's just a little bit more straightforward, I think, is what I'm trying to say. And oxygen is kind of yeah. placed at points that I, I, so far, right, still early on, haven't felt like, oh, man, there's a lot of pressure. Or, oh, I'm going to run out. Or, oh, I really need to manage this properly. That hasn't really come into play. And so it's it's a mechanic that I'm just like, eh, it, it's, not, it's not that great. But, again, it just, I, I say that, and it's just, it feels like such a small part. That it's not a huge criticism, I think, when the the meat and potatoes of what you're here for in a Doom game is so good. And kind of like with Doom Eternal, uh, where they, they do have platforming, they don't have so much platforming that it takes away from why you're there, which is to shoot things. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it's not it's not distracting or anything. I think it's just when you really focus in on it, you're just like, oh, that's kind of whatever. Um, and the new enemy that I've encountered so far is the, a turret, which is a an eyeball. And I, I don't mm. I certainly don't think it's the most interesting enemy in the game, but it has a kind of cool mechanic where if you aim at it for too long, it'll hide itself and you okay. have to be within a certain distance to shoot it. And so you have to kind of uh, 
manage that appropriately where it's like, okay, I have to get in there and I have to shoot it really quick. And so you feel a little bit of that tension of like, oh, I got to I gotta get it before it goes away. And, you know, on its own, it's kind of a small thing, but you combine that with all of the other Doom Eternal enemies where it's like, okay, I got to shoot the arm off of this thing. I got to shoot the missile thing off of this. And so it's just another layer on the, the this this like Rubik's cube that you're trying to solve while you're going 100 miles a minute, which is neat. Um, and this DLC definitely isn't just uh, you know combat encounters. It is definitely continuing off from where Doom Eternal as a story left, uh, and it is expanding upon the lore. What I am thinking to myself as I am reading these notes that I'm collecting in the Doom Eternal's DLC is like, wow, this story is really convoluted. And <laughs> I, I think on some level, it's kind of fun just to see how ridiculous it's getting. But you're, there's also a part of you that's like, I don't know if this needs to be this convoluted. <laughs> like, what, what are we trying to accomplish here? Um, so that's <laughs> definitely coming into play as well, though. But um, yeah, it's... It's brutal, and I, I feel like I'm going through it slowly, but I, I'm loving the hell out of it. And I think it's doing something that I, I love that DLC does, where it's like, oh, right, this is why I reviewed this game so highly. This is why I love mm-hmm. this so much. Right. And, you know, despite just ultimately boiling it down to the point where so far it just feels like, yeah, you're just taking what was good about this thing and turning up the knob... I think what was there originally was so good that turning the knob up is just making me all sorts of happy. So I'm really, really, really enjoying it. I think I think it has done a fantastic job. Uh, just the way that this, this shooter is designed mechanically and, and, and the, the intensity that they're able to bring to every fight is so, so cool. Um, I really hope that more allies get to check out Doom Eternal before Game of the Year as well, because... Yeah, I, I Me too. hope it will come up. But um, one thing I will say, and I'm curious if you guys have ever felt this in like a shooter or an action game, where definitely part of the appeal of Doom Eternal is figuring out the use for all of your weapons and all the different types of enemies, where it's like, oh, okay, if I encounter this thing, I'm going to use... The, like, if I encounter a cacodemon, I'm going to shoot a sticky grenade into its mouth with the shotgun. It's like, okay, go, cool, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. But, like... When I think, because in Doom Eternal in the DLC, they give you everything out the gate. Like, you've got it all. And you're going through these combat encounters, and the speed is just so intense. You have so many options. Like, you have a whole wheel full of options. And then you also have, like, your flame belch and two different types of grenades and your chainsaw. And all of these weapons have all these different attachments. And it's like, on one hand, it's neat, it's all there, but on the other, I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, maybe we don't need this many tools. Like, yeah. it, it's hard yeah. to imagine, like, effectively using absolutely everything in your toolkit because, like, it's just so much for your brain to process. And I, I wonder if there'd be any benefit by just trimming some of it down, I guess. Right. Well, um, I haven't played Eternal yet, but with the first one, you had like those, the hidden challenge rooms, mm-hmm. right? Where you would you would be limited to just a specific weapon. Um, and really, you know, that really brings it out in a way that like, oh, okay, now I've like 
understand how to use this a lot better. Right. Uh, do you do you think that can that continues in internal or are they? Well, in internal, the way that they so there there are kind of like these secret challenges that you can find, and it'll be like this kind of statuesque thing, and you go and you interact with it, and it's like okay, you have to kill like these three enemies in six seconds or something, but you're not limited necessarily in what you could use. Like if you have it, you can use it. But the the okay. thing is, you're still in the level, so like if you use those resources, um, you, you've used them, right? Uh, and then there are also these Slayer Gates, which are extra, extra, extra hard encounters that you go through. But again, um, you're not really limited with what you can bring into the fight, at least as far as I can remember. But yeah. Um, and it's not like I, 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 I can really think like, oh, that tool is super useless. But it's just like I was talking to somebody today and they were like, yeah, I just don't use freeze grenades and it's just like oh i don't and i'm like i i couldn't imagine me playing without using freeze grenades like they right. seem like the, mm-hmm. the the strongest thing in the game to me and so i guess that is one benefit of having so much stuff is you create kind of different play styles and you can watch one of doom internal planner and it's like oh they lean more on these weapons whereas i lean more on those weapons and so maybe it's not necessarily about using everything effectively it's about finding play style i guess so yeah doom eternal continues to kick ass really like that game nice. a lot um yeah i mean i think that's a, a a good thing to bring up because you know as someone who hasn't been following the game i don't feel like there's been a lot of talk about this dlc mm. like i i feel like i wouldn't have known it was coming out if you weren't asking me about it yeah and and, and so i feel like there's sometimes there's games like that where they support it they put out good additional content but it doesn't rise to the surface it's like the ghost of tsushima update right Right. everybody's talking about that Mm -hmm. thing you know and so it's really good to hear that like hey this thing that you were paying attention to is actually really good it's actually really worth diving into and breaking doom eternal back out again yeah i i think with dlc i have to imagine that there's like just this golden window of 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 interest just because there's so much coming out and i feel like with ghost of tsushima they they kind of hit that window where the game came out everybody played it it was very well received and then went away for just long enough that when it came back up it captured a lot of attention plus the up that they were doing is just so different than what you experienced in the main game, right? Like it's it's this brand new multiplayer yeah. mode, right? Like it's a completely transformative thing. Whereas Doom Eternal, like that game came out towards the beginning of the year. It's been a really long time. Um, I don't think they did a great job of communicating what the DLC was going to be and what the scope of it was going to be. And I think with that much time passed, when you kind of go like, yeah, it's just more of the same great stuff. Maybe that's just less appealing to people i guess maybe it's it's just maybe people have moved on i guess by that point i don't know i've definitely seen yeah well i i definitely feel like it is a bit long you know for what expectations can be right for for dlc and and i think even looking back on it when you're talking about like oh yeah the you know the doom eternal dlc is coming up and like oh okay and like part one Hmm. did they they didn't already do part one yeah right (laughs) i was thinking it was gonna be part two (laughs) like so, yeah, 
uh, I, I think it's yeah, it's definitely a fair point. I, the other thing is, is like this DLC is is pretty damn hard, and I think that is a good thing. But but even for me, right, who sunk a, a lot of time into Eternal, um, I was like, oh yeah, man, I haven't I haven't played that game in a while. Like it's going to be like a baptism by fire kind of going back into that. And so I think I think in some ways that's probably uh, a little bit of a mental hurdle as well. So. Um, but it's good. I have seen pretty big streamers stream the game, and I feel like it's been getting like I don't know a decent amount of love on Twitch. So I hope it's doing well. This game deserves to do well. It deserves to do well. Like the way, th- think about how mishandled Doom could be right now. Yeah, and how much oh, yeah. it's not. Oh well, I was thinking. Right. I was just thinking about that in terms of like. When the, the the reboot of Doom got announced, launching in 2016, sequel coming out now, adding on DLC that's meaningful and well-timed and not like, this is not a game that suffered like crazy delays or weird development mishaps. Like it's all just gone pretty smoothly and pretty ass kicking for mm-hmm. Doom. It's just mm-hmm. like, maybe that also might be it is that it's just, you know, the DLC's back and it's here for people that were interested in it and they'll check right. it out and it's great. You know, and sometimes when things kind of like are, are on course that way, it can not get as much you know, not make as much noise in a weird way. You know, it's just like they, they write, they, you know, the ship is right and it's sailing and yeah. it's a good thing. You know, people can miss that sometimes. I think that's a good point, Brandon, because I, I feel like with Eternal, my perception of it is that it hasn't been as broadly received as 2016. Because I think with 2016, you you can kind of play it a little bit more like a, you don't have to think about it too f- hard and you can just kind of go in and murder things. And that certainly is appealing but I think with Eternal, like Eternal pushes back way more aggressively. I've definitely seen people bounce off of that, which is totally understandable. And mm. so I think I think with Eternal, there's more of a you're either in or you're out kind of vibe. Sure. And so I, I think like the people that are in know that they're in and the people that are out know that they're out. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting. I I like that a lot. I like when it when a game finds its audience and manages to cater to them super hard. Like just understanding mm-hmm. what you are, I think can, can oftentimes make for a better product. But right now we're going to make something on this Hotake. Um, for this Hotake, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a goofy one. I'm gonna call Finally. this. Yeah, I'm gonna call this uh, Frankenstein's monster. Ooh. Okay. And so what we're gonna do is I have a, a, a series of categories. How many categories do I have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have eight categories. Okay. Okay. And I am going to give you guys twenty points. Okay. You have to split up the twenty points between these eight categories. And okay, what we're going okay. to try to do is we're going to try to make a horror game, right? And we're going to have to decide which categories are more important to us than others because we have a limited amount of points to dump in. So, and it, you can go up to a maximum of five, right? So the categories are okay. fear, you know, how much it scares you, how much it, it really tries to get into your skin, story, how interesting and well-written the story is, the setting where it takes place, of course, uh, the game mechanics, how how you're playing it moment to moment, uh, the characters, the cast, music, enemies. Uh, he, really, here I'm focusing on like enemy design. 
Um, and then replayability is the last category. Is this is this something that we want to constantly change every time they play? Do we want it to be super linear? That sort yeah. of thing. I'm trying to learn from my favorite horror games, but like they're all all fives <laughs> across right. all of those. It's like, right. damn, all those categories are pretty good. Right, all. but just because we like, so if you if you have if you if we put five points into something, that means it's the best of the best. Like it right. in that category right, right, right. at least. Right. right. So if we put five points into fear, we're making one of the scariest games ever made. You know, PT levels of fear. Um, I think I can win. Yeah, yeah. But. Just because, like, let, let's say we put a one in story, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're making a bad game. It just mm-hmm. means that it has a bad story. But mm-hmm. this, all of this, <laughs> all of this Frankensteining making sense. Yeah. Um, so sure. are you, are, is this just Blood Knight doing this or are you? I'll, I'll jump in. You know, gonna, I'll definitely okay. let you guys take the lead <laughs> for sure. Uh, well, I'll go, I'll go straight for Blood Sweet Spot. We're at least putting four into music, right? Four Blood, into I mean, music. Four into 20. Because... I think because here's the thing you got to offset. It's like if you're trying to make a meal as little as I know about preparing meals and you only have so many ingredients, you got to hopefully one ingredient will maybe make up for something else not being there. I think if we don't invest so much in fear, music will still still get us where we want to be. I think. I don't know. Yeah. So I think where we can cut. If we put if we put four into music. That means we'll have great music, and when people yeah. write their reviews of our game, they'll definitely note it, and they'll be like, yeah, I really enjoyed this. But it won't be the best of the best. It won't be Silent Hill. It'll be like right, one right, step right, below right. that. Right. I don't know. This 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 shouts new IP to me, so I'm okay yeah. coming out of the gate. Right, you know, okay. With, with some memorable stuff. Because that's the other thing, too. If you, you know, you, you could, if, if you know you got to cut corners, you can at least get that review where somebody's like, it's a good start. You know, yeah, I can right. see, I can see what they're <laughs> going for. This might be the type of developer given a, some more points. Okay. <laughs> you know, I like could that. Really pull something out next time. Cutting us some uh, first time slack. Me- mechanics is one where I'm maybe wondering if we can limit a little bit. Um, see, mechanics because... is probably one that I would dump four or five into. Hmm. Because. You know, I'm trying to think back on games where, like, you don't. I wasn't given necessarily a lot of tools, but it still scared the hell out of me. Like, I did. Well, like, right. like, like something like Clock Tower. Like, you don't. You're really just kind of clicking and hiding. It's really just how the story progresses. So mechanics is not necessarily complexity. Um, uh-huh. It is just how well it 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 utilizes the tools that it gives you. So, like, I think the best Resident Evil games. Are, are pretty brilliant mechanically because they really make you think like e- about every single bullet that you're going to spend. Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. me, that th- those are strong game mechanics where there's a lot of consequence to what you're doing. Um, and PT, I think, has amazing mechanics, right? And you you really just walk out in. of the box type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just it's just um, like if we go ahead. <laughs> you're just well. This is it. I'm literally going to go every category and Ben's going to be like, well, I don't know. Yeah, see, I got to push back. But I don't know if I'll take your points out of that one. Talk to me, blood. What are we, what are you, what are you not, what are you, what are you over the moon about? And what are you not feeling? What categories can we, can we skip? Uh, I'm kind of, I mean, I feel like I think fear has got to be pretty high. It's got to be a four or five. Oof. And I feel like setting should also be pretty high. Yeah um but yeah but yeah mechanics i'm i'm definitely willing to give a little bit there for sure well, then you're done you're out that's all your points right there <laughs> um are those you think the ones you think are most important we put a one in everything else and call it a day or 
Whew. And story, I mean, come on now. Why are you even playing this thing? Why am I even playing a horror game? If I'm not just, you know. Uh, good story with bad characters, bad characters, good story. <laughs> or sorry, good characters, bad story. You get good characters, bad story. That's a uh, little hope. And what it's the what? Yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say, good characters, bad story. <laughs> I, I think of like Until Dawn, I guess. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Or even, even Resident Evil to, to some degree. Yeah, it's the thing. It's like, a lot, I feel like a lot of the times this actual story in a horror game isn't necess- like isn't that great, okay. or you might not even know what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if um, yeah, but you're still fill in terrified. the gaps yourself. Yeah, I think I think story yeah. is a really interesting one because, like, mm-hmm. I would consider Soma having a great story. Silent Hill Two, um, for sure. Right, I gotta take notes here. Yeah, rattle, rattle off the categories one more time. All right, fear. Okay. Story, setting, mechanics, characters, music, enemies, and replayability. Uh, I'm willing to take huge hits on enemies and replayability. Huge hits. <laughs> so yeah, what I what I we will have, say. Do we have to have one point in everything, or can some of these be zero? You have to. Well, I mean, you could. The thing is, if you have like no points in enemies, that means your game doesn't have enemies. So you could you could construct sure. a game that way. Depends or on what no you want to do. No replayability. It's like that's it. You're done. <laughs> yeah. Like for no reason. For no. I think no matter what, you will not want to come back to this. Yeah, I actually didn't think about that. Not putting points into anything. Let's say <laughs> you have to put at least one point in every category. All right. Sure. And if you put like so to for example, let's say you put one point in enemies. People are going to be making fun of of how dumb your right. enemies are. They're going to be like, I, I play this horror game and it has the goofiest looking enemies ever. Which, hey, that's you can thing, go that way. We, but that's the thing. Yeah, you know, Blood, do we put all these separate points in different categories to up the fear quotient? Or do we just up the fear quotient? Do we, it doesn't matter if you got bad enemies. You laugh the enemies all day. We got three points in fear. You know, this game's still getting to you. Yeah. I'm doing it. <laughs> putting two points in music i would okay I, so eight okay so two you're saying setting is really important and two four three oh boy well i guess yeah i guess the question is i mean do you do you think we need a five should we have a five or should we have i think I, there's no way i think a five is that's that. That's where we're really. Uh, what is it? Typecasting ourselves as developers. They're like, I, I played this game. They're really only good at doing one thing. I got to be honest. Really? Yeah. So no five. You could argue that five, maybe a lot of horror six, games fall seven, under eight. that. Yeah. I do think you could, if you're struggling. I definitely think you could start with replayability. Yeah, well, I, Brandon, did you already say you're doing a one on each of those? So replayability and enemies, you're still that's, batting it around. That's kind of what I'm thinking, yeah. So replayability and enemies at one? Yeah. Yep. Okay, all right, this will be good. Uh, so you've got two points. Okay, one, I, think one I, got, I, I think I got my list. Okay, let's see what, let's see okay. what Blood thinks. Okay, let's see what you get. Fear, four. Okay. Okay, right? Yep. Let's ratchet that up. Story, two. 
Sure. Better than one. It's serviceable to there. It yeah. gets the job done. Yeah. Setting four. Okay. Right? So the fear and setting are are kicking. Uh mechanics two. Ben Ben convinced me. If at least put one in mechanics. So it gets it gets the job done. It Again, gets the it, job done. The, it works. It works. You're picking up items. It's all, you know. It's not if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh two again for characters. It's like, uh, you know, kind of. We could maybe take one point out of story and put it into characters if we want. Music, four. So again, like nice. the fear, the setting, and the mute. Like these are the three things by the end of that. And then enemies and replayability. Yeah, they're not going to spook you and you're playing this game once. Sorry. All right. So hold on. Let me, let, me double, let me double check. You only got time to play games once anyway. Let's be honest. I'm going to double check that the math is right. So 6, 10, 12, 14, 18, 19. Yep. So you, it checks out. So Blood, uh, do you agree with Fear 4, Story 2, Setting 4, Mechanics 2, Characters 2, Music 4, Enemies 1, and Replayability 1? Do you feel good about that? I might, I know Brandon's going to think this is crazy, mm-hmm. but I I might shift one point. I, I might take music to a three because mm-hmm. it's still better like than average, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, and and do uh, two on enemies. Ooh, okay. I actually I think, think that's, that's really good, smart. Yeah. I think that's a good play. Okay. A little nervous about the story and characters being pretty basic, but whatever. <laughs> so now... You know, you don't have to go crazy with it, but I want you to try to tell me the game that you're making, which has a fear right. at four, so great yeah. scares, really gets mm-hmm. under people's skin. Not Maybe not the scariest thing that they've ever played, but they were looking for fears and they got them. Story two, people like don't outright hate it, but they struggle to remember what even happened with the story. They just don't care. They just don't care about it. Setting four, they love where this takes place. Really cool setting. Uh, again, maybe not the best that they've ever seen, maybe not the most unique, but what it uses, it uses well. Mechanics two, the game works, doesn't actively get in their way. Uh, they're, they're not really about playing it. That's not the most exciting thing to them. It's, it's the setting and, and, and how it scares them, not what they're actually doing with a controller or keyboard and mouse. Characters two, again, like the story, not like offensive but just there not really interesting people aren't looking up these people on on wikis music three good music couple of tunes uh got in their head um but a lot of other music just kind of blended together enemies two not outright embarrassing but (laughs) this is a game that uh maybe benefits by having its enemies in the shadows because when you when you get a good look at them in the light Maybe not so intimidating. Kind of forgettable enemies. Replayability one. You're only playing this game one time. That's it. Maybe even not once. <laughs> Replayability. So what are we making? Describe it to me. And I think Fierce. the things that I want you to focus on are the, your highest categories. So how is it scaring yeah. you and where is it taking place? Um, yeah, I mean, setting. We're. I mean, you are... You're, pro- you're probably this is like Blair Witch, man. You are in a forest; you cannot escape. You know, you are you are. Yeah, you, I was actually thinking about that. I was unre- like unrelenting. There's no, there's no safe rooms in this game, man. You are just constantly. So know, what's like uh, outlast? Just derelict everything. What's uh, preventing you from escaping? Because it's definitely not the enemies. Um. Well, there's like a it, it's it's. But I mean, I think it could be because you're being you're being hunted. So right. the enemies are just some dudes. Mm. 
you know? Yeah. Okay. That's, okay. That's, why, that's why the enemies suck is because it's like there's a presence. You know what I mean? Like there's voices. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, like, you know, uh, visually, you know, there's just a lot of atmospheric stuff happening. It never materializes in anything you can target or interact with, you know, but you feel it when you're there like the whole time. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in your head. A lot of like imagery that's messing with you. Um, uh, and yeah, just creepy music. So there's just a lot of. Again, the um, uh, trying to think. Be fun if there's like ways that the environment is factoring into the music as well. Just kind of the general mm-hmm. sound design. Sound design's not on here. I'm kind of lumping that into setting and music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I feel like Brandon. This should... I was lumping that into fear as well. Yeah. Sound design. Yeah. I feel like this should be like on a on a mountain, right? And so because when you have like these steep slopes and things mm. you know you can be getting chased and then you you come up to like a waterfall yeah. and like do do i jump yeah. do i let them catch sure. up to me you know like you know and, and uh similarly like there can be places where you know you you think you're on solid footing and you just scramble and you just you know get knocked down you know a, a, you know a few hundred feet or something and yes blood you can yeah you can have caves you can come across like a like a bear or a wolf or something that's you know comes out of nowhere and and i also think a very that, basic looking bear but still yes yeah <laughs> uh, but i also think that like there'd be a good situation to have traps i think traps would oh, be a yeah, really yeah. fun element to mess with your mind to you know like you think that you're gonna get some resources and you stick your hand and then your hand gets stuck and like now what do i do you know uh and something's something's knows that you got caught in that trap yeah. and you've got a limited time to f- figure out how to get yourself free and get out of there before you, you get hunted down. Um, Blood, I really like the direction that you're taking this game. Uh, you mentioned there, so bears and wolves and cliffs and traps, all good elements. We also mentioned there being like humans that were maybe residing on this mountain, right? Like mm-hmm. some sort of threat from from some sort of group. What kind of group are we talking about here? Are we talking about like you know, like escaped murderers or a cult or... Well, here's the thing, Ben. Our story and our characters both suck. <laughs> right. So there's just some guys with beards and you <laughs> okay, just don't okay. know. Okay, fair you point. You really have really, no fair idea point. who these guys are. <laughs> yeah. And do you just never find out? Really? Yeah, locals. Okay. Locals. Okay. locals. Locals. That's the best you <laughs> yeah. get. You get some stories that kind of talk about some vague thing, like somebody got killed over here or whatever, but then that, it never really connects to anything. What is the Metacritic average for this game? I can. Hmm. I have a score in mind. If you're curious. Eighty-three. Okay. I was saying eight-one. I was going to say seventy-nine. Seventy-nine. <laughs> Not quite an eighty, but mm-hmm. close. But I, we're all in the same range, I think. Yeah. All right. Can you give me a title for this game? With everything that you've said so far. Mm. cold wind <laughs> <laughs> all right that's good cold wind doesn't even sound like a horror game i know well it's it, there's i i don't know how many points can we put into title <laughs> i can't tell <laughs> would that be would that be story i guess all right i guess i guess we'll go with cold wind cold wind or or well, we're, we're, we're okay so we have but we have a bad story doesn't right. mean you have a bad title, though. And we're on a mountain. Oh, okay. We got yeah, yeah. No, no. Maybe. Five this one I'm giving but you like, for free. Something that doesn't yeah. make sense. I don't know. I was like thinking like Shiver Me Timbers yeah, would be sure. like a really stupid title. Yeah. 
I think if you go with Shiver Beat Timbers, that Metacritic score is plummeting. Like, it's <laughs> not. It's not the eighties. It's Shiver Beat Timbers. Like, um, go ahead. Has there been a game called like Shiver or like The Shiver? I'm sure there has. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there has. Too. But it's better than Cold Wind. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if I'm I'm satisfied with that title. We can go with Cold Wind slash Shiver. Yeah, this is subtitle: Cold Wind Shiver. Sh- Cold Wind. Sh- <laughs> you played Cold Wind Shiver. Have <laughs> you played Cold Wind Shiver? Are we uh, are we ready for some emails? Yeah. That was fun. Thank you for indulging my dumb little game. That was not my least favorite soundtrack of the year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> it was okay. Excited uh, to see their next game. Let's just keep the games rolling. Uh, we've got a game coming in from Samuel. Uh, Frame Trap Game Submission, Smash Hits. Hello, allies. Playing as Steven Super Smash Bros. this month has been an almost surreal experience for me, even though I don't have a particular attachment to Minecraft. It really hit home how special this crossover is as a celebration of gaming, but also got me thinking about how Smash itself has become such a juggernaut in its own right, with Ultimate selling 19.99 million units, making it much bigger Mm. than many of the games it represents. The game I put together is called Smash Hits. For each series listed, the allies must say hit if any single game in that series has sold more than Super Smash Bros. Ultimate and smash if not. So hit if it's any single game in the series, not the series itself, and smash if not. Uh, I use the video game sales wiki, switch game numbers are as of June 2020. I also list the series bestseller with each answer. All right, so The Legend of Zelda, uh, hit or smash? Uh, hit? I'll like, it, could be, it could be a trick question, but I would say hit. I'll say hit. Not many. Hit? Yeah, I think Breath of the Wild is the one that Correct. I, yeah. Blood is correct. Breath of the Wild, 20.2 million units. Includes Wii U. There. Um, 3D Super Mario games, hit or smash? Hit, for sure. Smash. Ooh. Blood is on a roll. Smash. Super Mario Odyssey is the highest one. 18.1 million. Oh. Wow. This one's a tricky one. Duck Hunt. Hit or smash? That is a tricky one. Mm-hmm. This was packed in, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll go hit. Sure, I'll say hit. That's a hit. You're both right. Duck Hunt NES. 28.3 million. Sonic. Hit or smash. Any single Sonic game. So it's more than smash. Brand's going smash. I'll say smash. Both wrong. Hit Sonic the Hedgehog, 24 million. According to this email. Final Fantasy, hit or smash? Oh, hit for sure. Hit. Smash. Final Fantasy 7, 18.2 million. Oh, man. So close. Wow. A lot of these are really close. That's pretty good. Donkey Kong. Uh, smash. Okay. Oh, wait, uh, yeah, I'll smash. Yeah. I'll smash. You're both right. Uh, Donkey Kong Country okay. is a smash. Uh, Thirteen million. Okay. Um, he has a bonus round here, which I, I think adds an interesting twist on this. So now you say hit or smash if the entire series has sold more than Smash oh. Ultimate and Smash if not Metroid. Okay. Smash. 
Smash. Correct. 18.2 million, which is... Wait, are we comparing it only to Ultimate or all of Smash Brothers? Only all to... of Metroid 2 Smash. All Ultimate. of Metroid 2 Smash Ultimate specifically. Yeah. Got it, got it. Okay. Uh, but yes, you're right. It's Smash, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. 18.2 Dis- million. Uh, Fire Emblem. I'm a... S- yeah, Fire Emblem. Smash. I gotta say hit. Smash, 15.1 million. Wow, okay. I don't know if that is just North America or not. Yeah, I don't either. That's why I was thinking, because there's a lot of games that came out before, and it's been rising in popularity. Yeah, it's a a tricky one. Fire Emblem Smash, 15.1 million. Uh, This one is is tricky. So Game & Watch includes Game & Watch hardware. Oh, gosh. I'll say Smash, but I really have no idea. I'll go Hit, because I love Game & Watch. Hit, 43.4 million. According to this email, forty-three. Yeah, that's 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 yeah. huge. Yeah, that one's weird. Okay, lots Pers- of different gaming watches. Persona, for sure. That's true. This would definitely depend on international Smash. versus U.S. Um, Smasher, I think. Would you both say Smash? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Smash is correct. It's thirteen million. Yoshi, Brandon's favorite. Yay! A hit because I love them. <laughs> so hit, this, this is all you get them to bite stuff. So many little spells. Right, as it's, in it's weird. Hit Yoshi in the back of the head. <laughs> Poor Yoshi. <laughs> dude. I'll go. I'll go smash. I'm a little skeptical. Hit twenty point four million. Probably smash when we get our next sales update. Oh, nice. Just barely. Okay. Metal Gear Solid. Hit. Come on now. Hit. Yeah. Hit thirty million. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Both right. A really cool game. I like that. Thanks, Samuel. Yeah, that was fun. Um, hold on one second. All right. Our next email comes in from James. Hello, Ben and panel. It's not really a secret to those that follow the game industry that modern games will often collect lots of data about player behavior for analysis. This data is then used for charts and such to inform decisions regarding updates to existing games as well as future projects. This practice is most commonly associated with multiplayer games, but with how commonplace it is for people to be connected to the internet even when playing alone, there are a significant number of single-player games that will also be doing it. At the very minimum, mm-hmm. heat maps. Yeah, at the very minimum, developers will generally be aware of, excuse me, achievement trophy percentages. My question to the panel is: Do you think knowing this has ever subconsciously or consciously, I guess, had any influence on anything you do in a game? Knowing that even if you're just a single anonymous data point, that you may be looked at to shape decisions made by the developer. It's obviously a minor, subtle thing, but I find it an interesting thing to think about. I'd be really curious what some developer thinks of Damiani's data. Why do you say that? They just said puzzled. <laughs> just just going up against walls and breaking things. Sure. And yeah. yeah. We see. This uh, one guy yeah, played snipper the- clips, and the, the solution was right in front of him, but he just kept. <laughs> he just kept spinning. He kept trying to. He just lift kept the spinning. Other character. <laughs> uh, uh, I love this. I'm definitely. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I love it. Because this is uh, us at preview events too, <laughs> you know. Like, I've mm. I've had this happen many times in real time, where you know somebody comes over and like, are you having a problem? And I'm just like, what what is this? I don't understand. I'm stuck here. And they're like, oh well, it's, here's this easy solution you're completely missing because it's the first time you've ever played this game. And I'm like, oh, got it. There's definitely that sort of foreignness that sort of 
breaks in when you're at a preview event. When yes. You, you feel Definitely. like you're even even when you're like even when you're doing these these at home previews, you know, be, there's there's something about that time limit that like adds the stress to you. And they're like, I I gotta I gotta get through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. That your brain just starts to miss like just just little nuances and little bits of information. It's like there's a thing on the screen telling you to do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you missed it. When I did, it's similar to streaming. Yeah. When I did the cyberpunk preview, like there was somebody with me the whole time and so i was like it's just me and this person and they're just paying attention to what i'm doing because like normally at preview events they have to like kind of monitor a a group of people yeah and so you definitely get that feeling creeping in but when it's just you and one other person you're like boy i hope i don't do anything stupid in this game i haven't played before yeah (laughs) they're just judging you yeah Hmm, i guess i guess that's what you did huh yeah great uh um but in terms of like the data collection and the, the idea that like my movements and interactions are being recorded when I'm just playing a game on my own, like I, I don't, I don't think about it or consider it whatsoever. Um, I'm definitely, you know, <laughs> I definitely have my own quirks. I'm definitely a slower, thorough person, mm. uh, and sometimes I don't understand. <laughs> I like I don't understand how my time to complete a game ends up being so much higher than everybody right, else's. Right. Especially with Huber, you know, with like when he got through The Witcher Three, and like he's like, yeah, I did all the side quests, all side quests, and all the points of interest, and you know, I was under a hundred hours, and I'm like, what? How? How? Yeah, you know, it's one thing if you tell me you skipped over some yeah. things, but when you say you did everything right. and you still got through it in like a lot less time than him, they're like, what am I doing differently? Mm, you're very thorough, but yeah, <laughs> I've got many a Bloodworth reviews. You're a very thorough player. I I would agree with you though, Blood. Like, I, I think in terms of, like, developers getting data from how I'm playing, it's something that I don't think about until I'm made aware of it, until they're like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, if they if they happen to show that data somehow. But otherwise, it fades in the background to me. It's definitely an interesting thing to consider, but not one that is, I'm, I'm actively thinking about as mm-hmm. I'm going through a game if I'm just in my own home. How about you, Brandon? I'm, yeah, agreed. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't... Uh... I'm I'm weird. Uh, I never want to like influence my opinions on privacy, like on on other people's opinions, because that can be a very obviously a very private matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like I don't get. It takes a lot for me to get spooked out about those things. Sure. You know, a lot of people are like people are looking at you through your webcams. I'm like, well, I'm probably pretty bored. I don't know. You know, like I'm recording my webcam right now. You know, like just so <laughs> much of what we do is public. And like I was saying so many, you know, there are so many instances where it's like, I hope people are listening. I hope, you know, mm-hmm. Crystal Dynamics is listening every time I talk about Avengers because I have notes, <laughs> you know. So like I hope somebody out there is copying that stuff. I remember the first time I heard about this, I think it was Half-Life 2 Episode 1. That uh, mm. they were talking about, like, actively charting, specifically the out, like, the, the moment people stopped playing. They were mm. like, whoa. And noticing these little hiccups where they were like, whoa, it, they are all stopping right here. And like, what is it? What did we put there that's just such an easy... I like the way you put it, uh, Ben, when you say people bounce off of stuff. I like yeah. that idea of all of us. I like this concept of all of us just, like, bubbles, like, going through the creative, you know, metaverse. Just kind of, like, looking for happiness, you know? <laughs> just, like, how long can we stick onto something before we're just, you know tossed to the other side of the court yeah i it's funny and i imagine it's hard for the developers because like you you look at trophies for things and it's like well a lot of people just don't finish games no matter what and so Mm -hmm. like i can imagine that it's you have different subsets of categories where it's like okay 
what type of player are they? Do they normally finish games? And like that data that you're collecting. And then it's like, well, where do the people struggle that stuck all the way through? Mm-hmm. And I can imagine it can get like very subcategory esque. Yeah. As you're oh, well, I mean, yeah. you look at, yeah, ones and zeros aren't really going to tell you a whole lot at the end of the day, because like if you dive into my profile currently on PlayStation, you will see that I have started and not finished Ghost of Tsushima. And that has absolutely nothing to do uh, right. based on my my interests or whether that game is good or not. Like that game is great and I love it. And I'm probably not going to get back to it until late December right. just because of, you know, life, you know, so it's uh, um yeah, I think that stuff will only only tell you too much. It really is when you look at like a you know a million or a billion points of of data, then it's like okay. And then I'm looking at all these little tiny dots. Being one dot in there, like it's fine. Mm-hmm. Our last email comes in from Martian. Hey, hi Ben and Allies. I just saw Huber's tweet on the uh, Yakuza slash Streets of Rage crossover, and now we know. He not only has the power to will remakes and sequels into existence, but also crossover games. After seeing Streets of Kamarocho, I had the idea for a question. Which modern-day game or franchise would you like to see crossover with a 16-bit classic? As an example, my pick would be Bloodborne crossed with Super Castlevania 4. I think it would make for an amazing game. Thanks for everything, and stay positive. But I think you're... Yeah. I think to stay in the spirit, it would probably be that direction, right? Like you would make a retro version of it, sort of like Yarn Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Mandalorian Super Star Wars. Nice. On a 16-bit, like that Star Wars style, but it's the the show. You're going through Mandalorian, blown up dudes. So, sorry, yeah. it would be like Super Star Wars, but Mandalorian. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. No. So they would do, do the music. It would be the, you know, like the actual like Mandalorian theme. And like, that'd be fun. I actually don't know if I have an answer for this. It's difficult. Bloodborne and Super Castlevania 4 hit real hard for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's Even a good just one. the score, too, because the score to Super Castlevania 4 is so dope to hear that. Have you seen the guy doing uh, funk to Bloodborne on his bass? Some guy on Twitter mm-hmm. is just like, he's just dropping like the crazy bass line on top of like all these Bloodborne tracks. I think it would mm-hmm. be interesting to have like the Witcher as like a, a 90s infinity engine isometric rpg just that style sure. and and like when you talk to somebody they have characters I mean, the original games sort of started as something similar to that what but yeah but it, you it wasn't like you yeah it wasn't top down yeah. it was still 3d yeah but i just mean like in terms of gameplay it was a little it was a little bit more removed in that okay. sense okay okay so maybe that's not the best pick um. Hmm. Trying to think about stuff that's like really new. Yeah, this is this is harder for me than I would think it would be. Really like the Lost Vikings. I'm trying to think of anything <laughs> three characters oh, sure. that you can take from popular media or something and merge them with that concept. You you mentioned Mandalorian, and I'm just thinking like TV shows that would be cool to mm-hmm. right do this with. Yeah, I wish I had like a bang and answer. Through our reviews to try to find a good one. Yeah. yeah, Alien Three is another great licensed game from Super Nintendo that I enjoy. That I'm like, oh, Blade, oh, Blade Runner okay, could fit okay. that aesthetic, and maybe other things. Judge Dread could be a fun game with the I got model. One. Fitting our themes for this month: uh, Luigi's Mansion, uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Mm. I looked that up. We were to had our horror stream coming up. I was like, is Zombies Ate My Neighbors on like PC or something weird? Like, can yeah. we get it? Is it like on GOG or something? No. 
Yeah. A lot, lot of weird I mean, knockoffs. In, in some ways, like, I'm not really that into, like, its gameplay. Sure. You know, that's, its level structure and stuff. But, yeah, just, again, like, having something that kind of puts those two things together. Like, having a 2D top-down Luigi's Mansion game. Um, I think Zombies like Put My Neighbors cool. clearly put three points into enemies, music, <laughs> and mechanics. And settings. The settings were good, too. Fear? No. Story? No. No, yeah, it's definitely not a fear game. Uh, Brendan, when you were kind of just listing off stuff, I want a really, really, really good... I know we just got a, a recent one, but it was multiplayer. I want a really good Predator single-player game. Uh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. a, a modern one is what I'm saying. One on mm-hmm. current hardware. Yeah. All right, I think that's going to do it for Frame Trap. Thank you so much to my panelists, Brandon Jones and Daniel Bloodworth. Uh, if you would like to write in to FrameTrap, uh, the email address is askeasyallies at gmail.com. One more time, that is askeasyallies at gmail.com. It is also in the description of the YouTube video. Thank you so much for watching. Until next time.